So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. All right, Michael, we're going to do some first impressions. We've got a Starburst IPA from Portland's Ecliptic Brewing Company or Brewery. This is our first out of Washington beer. Um, mm. Let's try it. Let's do it. How is it, Jen? Tell us. It's beautiful. What's it in your lips? It's so good. What kind of beer? Quite good. I've never heard of this beer nor this brewery, but they succeeded in making a good beer. They caught my eye in the Trader Joe's mm. beer aisle, and uh, they said that they had four different types of hops in this sucker, and it tastes mm. like it. Nice and fruity. I like the design. It kind of looks like it might fit with the uh, First Man pairing next week. Ooh. Or just the Star is Born tie-in yes, today. Yes, I, I like that. It's flexible. Quite good. Good insight. Deep yeah. insight on these beers. We'll put a picture of it in the uh, show notes. Uh, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Sign Fair me up enough. for work, are you? Mm. <laughs> good beer. Uh, so we're going to get to two titles today on the First Impressions trailer reviews. We are going to do Her Smell with Elizabeth Moss. Do you have anything you want to elucidate about that for us? Or does that cover your knowledge? That covers my knowledge. <laughs> Don't know much about the plot. New Alex Ross Perry movie. There we go. So That's... I'm excited. Okay, Alex Ross Perry. Um, Last yeah. film he released was Golden Exits, correct? That's right. So his second movie this year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Actually, Golden Exits might have technically come out last year but yeah, yeah. i think they might have finagled it and had yeah. a, that weird spring you know release even though it qualified for awards last year yeah and then um what is the other title the other title is cold war by a polish director i believe but i could not tell you his name off the top of my head you want to just say mia wazakowska three times fast and call it good <laughs> probably <laughs> will sound similar to how i'd pronounce his actual last name yes um i, but, I believe uh, it's like pavlowski yeah, I think that's, that's right. That's just even. I, uh, who is Pavlovsky? I don't even remember. Isn't he a psychologist? Yes, I was also thinking maybe he was the name of the Russian character in Armageddon. <laughs> oh yeah, this is going to be a confusing <laughs> discussion. Uh, so, her smell or Cold War first? Let's do her smell. Cheers. Cheers. I call to the stand. My mother, Mrs. Anya Adamchik. Mrs. Adamchek, do you swear solemnly that your daughter was born with a rare neurological condition that renders the passage of time an enforced illusion from the external world? Judge, please. I just can't seem to get going till later at night. You think I want to be late? Those people deserve a show. And you have no idea the hell that I've been through. I am wishing there was any way on earth I could get going, but I just don't think I'm going to make it. Promise me, Mama, when I die, have the coffin arrive half an hour late and on the side written in gold letters of the words. Sorry for the delay. All right, Michael, why don't you explain to the listener what the trailer for Her Smell is like? So I think 
I regret having not read at least a plot summary in advance of watching this because I'm not quite sure what we just watched. But Elizabeth Moss appears to be playing an actress, perhaps? I think that she might just be like one of those crazy performers. I was getting more of like a Madeline's mm. Madeline Vox Lux cross mm. vibe. Yeah. If that yeah. makes any sense to you? Got it. Yeah, this this <laughs> might be more of a um more of a psychological um thriller in comparison to what he's done before that's yeah. not the right word but you kind of no, see where no, i'm saying i definitely um, vibe with that when, when i was looking at it i was like so this is his interpretation of gaspar Noé. like mm. it's very much an alex ross perry film just by looking yeah. at it and, and by those characters and yeah. their mannerisms just within this brief trailer but it is kind of that slow moving mm. um camera in the unique nightlife that we would attribute to gaspar Noé. yeah yeah i could see that um I mean, one thing I think of when I think of Alex Ross Perry is his tendency to just make me as a viewer uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which he succeeded in doing here. So I fo- well, did um, he do that for you in Golden Accents? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, there, there's I, moments uh, of uncomfort, but I, I don't think that generally I was uncomfortable. I think I was actually quite leisure in, yeah. in like the way that I was comporting my body while I watched it. I think I was yeah. kind of relaxed watching it. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's not a, you know, overly tense kind of experience, but I think about those relationships which make you cringe a little bit as you see, you know, a husband um, maybe flirting with danger yes. um, as he kind of, you know, gets acquainted with his young assistant. Yes. Um, he has you um, kind of saying to yourself, like, uh-oh, where is this going to go? What's this character going to do? But uh, she, um, she was so strong that, like, I didn't get too nervous because she was just mm. so dominant as a force of yeah. uh, personhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, really the only thing I do know about her smell is that it's the same um, cinematographer he's worked with before. Okay. Um, who I've really liked. Um, I think his name is Sean Williams, Sean Price Williams. Um, he did, um, like, Good Time as well with the That's, Safdie brothers. I know you love that movie. I do love that movie. And Heaven Knows What um, and Golden Exits and a couple other Ross Perry movies. Um, and I love his style, so that was exciting to see he's doing this one too. So I think it should be visually pleasing for me. Yeah, it looked good. Yeah, it, it, Elizabeth Moss looks like she's doing good work. It's just, right? uh, yeah, I think it's it, it's probably going to be a good movie. We're already uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we we felt something. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, should we hop on over to Cold War? Let's do it. Cheers. <laughs> We just watched Pavel Pavlowski's, uh, I probably mispronounced that already, 
Cold War trailer. That's right. What'd you think? I think this looks like a beautiful movie. It does. Um, really lovely music. Um, gorgeous black and white. Um, I think he was the director of the film that won Best Foreign Language uh, film like a couple years ago, or maybe three or four years ago, called Ida. Do you remember that mm, movie? That sounds familiar. She's a nun? Yeah. Yeah, I exactly. remember a very striking um, image on the cover yeah. with her hood, uh, the white hood, very ornate yeah. in the center of it. Really well framed. Very similar kind of vibe here. And it's, okay. um, I haven't seen it. So. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Similar sort of um, patient um, speed. Um, also in black and white. Um, you know, I don't think he's um, deviating much stylistically. Uh, but this looks like very much my kind of thing. Um, but what about you? Looks like a beautiful interpretation of uh, the Cold War to me. I mean, it's somewhere yeah. between Roma and. Uh, if Beale Street can talk uh, mm-hmm. visually and audiologically, um, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know, it just looks good. I, you know, yeah. they they don't say anything we can understand. I just really want to see it. Yeah, and I expect that that film will be in my top ten. That's one of the first trailers mm. where I was just like, oh, this is a top ten. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes those are my favorite trailers where you're just getting the mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the feel more than than plot or anything like that i can get all that later just let me know kind of what i'm in for like feel wise and then yeah. i kind of know whether to get excited or not since that's ultimately what's going to matter anyways yeah. i i mean um, like I, i'm just realizing that i should probably say it but when i look at those two characters that are supposed to be in love i mm. didn't for a second think that i was watching a movie i was like oh mm. they're in love i'm gonna love this love story yeah yeah <laughs> you can only look at them for two seconds and kind of buy into it Mm -hmm. so that's a good sign all right well should we get moving quickly on to our first title of the week with a room with a view this is not at all what we were led to expect i thought we were going to see the arno the signora distinctly wrote south rooms with a view and close together instead of which is given as north rooms without a view and a long way apart directed by james ivory uh starring daniel day lewis Helena Bonham Carter. That's DDL and HBC. That's right. Um, and I'm forgetting the name of... Maggie Smith? Yes. That's exactly who I was going to uh, say. And then Dame Judy Dench. That's exactly right. So we have some um, household names. Yep. Two of the Hogwarts alumni. Two? Who am I thinking of? I know uh, Maggie Smith was McGonagall. Uh, yep. And then Helena Bonham Carter was... Uh, what's her mm. name? Uh I want to say Minerva, but that is Greek mythology. I think you're right. I Wait, kind of forgot she was in Harry Potter, but I think that's yeah, correct. Let's do a do a quick look up here. We do not want to lose Harry Potter fans. Uh, HBC Harry Potter. Let's see if that just pops it right up. Why wouldn't it? it? It brought her up, that's for certain. Yeah, I feel like I remember her being a... Uh, Bellatrix Lestrange, there we go. Ah, there it is. Lestrange. Makes sense. Um, I gave this... Lestrange, if you will. Lestrange. It's a good name. I gave this a four with the heart. You did? Gave it a three? Yep, with a very elaborate way of saying I did not really let this into my heart the way that... Mm. This is a movie that I think you should watch if you're going to know, only watch one movie that day and maybe mm. watch it, you know, just before maybe 4.30, you know, just mm. kind of in like a nice afternoon thing. You just had your afternoon nap and you're waking up. I saw and that, yeah. You're perhaps having a, 
a nice summer ale or or a glass of, of wine and mm. you're just gonna lay on the floor and and spend some time in the italian countryside yeah but uh if you say watched like 11 movies and this was the last one you watched this is a very poor strategy to watch this film and that's what happened <laughs> that is exactly what happened yeah i could see that um i think for me you know the best thing about it is just sort of relishing in its time and place you know victorian england and italy um so i can completely understand how after 10 movies or so um this wouldn't be like the smoothest kind of dialogue to digest um, no, no, it's very, it, very literary, right? Yeah, it was it like is stopping. It was like going from a sprint to a stop. I think that the last yeah. thing I had watched was Venom, which I watched right after Star is Born. Uh, and right before that, I had watched A Prayer Before Dawn, I want to say. Yeah. So I was kind of in this new modern mode. And then they were just throwing, like, quaint Shakespeare, but not Shakespeare at me. And I just... It's I a wanted pretty jarring like transition. The whole time I was like, Helena Bottom Carter is the female Timothy Chalamet in the 80s. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. She just looks like Timothy Chalamet with long hair to me. Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> yeah, she looks incredibly young, um, beautiful, um, mm-hmm. large hair, voluminous hair. Yep. Loved the hair. Um, I really liked her in it. I feel like this is pre-Tim um, Burton getting a hold of her and changing her kind of persona. Like, I think about her... Um, like maybe post, maybe not post Tim Burton, post Fight Club, when I think mm-hmm. she became a kind of different kind of persona. Um, and I really liked her here. Um, well, I like her after Fight Club quite a bit. Still like so, her, yeah, yeah. Still in general. Oh fan. yeah, the um, Demon Barber Fleet Street. She oh, yeah. has a fantastic role in that. What yeah. you've never seen Sweeney? Never seen Sweeney Todd. I'd love to tie that, that into some sort of a musical week. That could be fun. Yeah. That's Tim Burton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think it's probably one of his best films, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Sadly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really like this movie. Um, I oh, mean, we could I... tie it in with Dumbo. That'd be fun. Is he doing Dumbo? Yeah, he's doing Dumbo. It comes out cool. early 2019. I think Dumbo looks kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I just got really excited. Production meeting. <laughs> okay. Um, Merchant Ivory. Merchant Ivory, yeah. Um... I thought it was a really romantic movie, um, just delightful to look at and take in. Um, I think it uh, sort of avoids ever becoming too sentimental by sort of undercutting some of those really romantic scenes with humor, which I usually did find pretty funny. Um, And uh, I just enjoyed kind of being um, in this movie. the book in the yeah. book yeah right. um yeah but i guess um you know as romantic as their relationship is it's almost like this camera is kind of having a relationship with these spaces like i feel like ivory's affection and adoration for these um spaces is really clear um i, I would me. agree but i think that if i understand correctly that is also the romanticization of the landscape within the book which I believe was released mm. in 1908, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, he so could be. that translation's very much there. Mm. Another thing is I just don't gravitate towards these books to begin with. Mm. So a visual depiction of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it lacked whatever Call Me By Your Name had in mm. kind of the, the beautiful swooping of the camera. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
but the the pond scene was not lost on me. Mm. Yeah, I did not go into this expecting full frontal male nudity. No, but uh, I, I mean, not just that, but perhaps the relationship of this pond and the frivolity mm. and, and the gaiety of these three yeah. men having fun together in the nude yeah. and how that transitions and is present in Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. It seems like a very clear homage to me. Yeah, yeah. This idea of kind of um, living passionately, mm-hmm. um, I think, is kind of running through both of those movies. Um, but would, would you agree that that scene seems kind of lifted or, or homage? Um, you're referencing the scene in um, Call Me By Your Name, name. specifically? Yes. Yeah, when they go um, to the pond together. Under oh, got it. You're trying to like literally connect those yes. two scenes. I thought you meant just kind of like in no, feel it, or it, vibe. It looks like um, he, I he was about deeply that. influenced yeah. by that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, that hadn't crossed my mind, but yeah. Um, that connection seems pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought Daniel Day-Lewis was hilarious. Um, there was a, you know, a scene where Lucy, Helena Bonham Carter's character, is finally telling George that he needs to leave. Like, this is too confusing for her. And he's sort of professing his love and saying, like, if we don't do this, we'll never have a chance. And it's this really romantic moment that's kind of like almost getting too sentimental. And he says, like, you don't want to spend the rest of your life with this guy. And it cuts to him outside drinking tea. And there's like a fly in his face and he's like trying to swat it away. Just looks like a moron. Um, And, you know, he he consistently kind of lightened the mood from it Mm -hmm. ever becoming too melodramatic. Okay. Um, So he really worked for me. Not so much for you? Uh, As an actor, I think that he did a fantastic job with the performance. That romantic Mm. narrative, I just never cared. Yeah, couldn't get into Um, it. You know, I was like, why... You, you don't have to marry who you want to begin... Or you don't have to marry someone you don't really want to to begin with, Helena Bonham Carter, Lucy. Mm. Uh, and, and I never bought into her relationship with the other boy. So I was never, like, mm. intrigued by his arrival into town. Mm. Uh, and then, I, I don't know, I just never took DDL seriously enough that, like... Mm. I, I never took the plot seriously enough. Mm. I was just like, what what are we doing? Are we going to have a flashback to the old ladies crooning? Like, what's, what's going to go on? Yeah. Yeah, I fell for it. Like when uh, you know the 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 famous kiss in the fields, the first one, um, I thought was just sort of awkward um, and romantic enough at the same time. Um, oh, their kiss, DDL and HBC. Uh, no, the younger man, George. I don't know that actor's name. I, just okay. know, I remember the character's yeah, name, yeah. George. Um, you know, when they're still in Italy, they take that little like day trip to the mm-hmm. countryside, and that's yeah. where he kind of crosses the field and kisses her i, I think um, the most I affecting thing to me in the film is, is close to that where they there's this beautiful blonde girl uh riding with the the wagon jockey mm. or driver mm-hmm. and they make her get off just in the yeah. middle of this gravel path in the middle of the woods and they just yeah. leave her and i was like what the fuck is what <laughs> <Yeah. this movie?" laughs> it was a little startling i kind of forgot about that i was like well, no <laughs> yeah it's because um one of the passengers, right, doesn't isn't comfortable with their sort of uh, public display. PDA, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, I don't know. yeah, that was a problem for me. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, it sounds like from the get go, you were just frustrated with her not just doing what she should do. I mean, I kind of enjoyed yeah. that process of her having the realization that she should be able to um, live the life she wants to live and, and love who she wants to love. I was kind of. Um, 
excited for her as she kind of is is approaching that realization i i never believed that she hadn't already realized it i i don't think that i don't think that i saw her character i think i saw helena bonham carter and to me she's just such a fiery capable performer yeah that it'd be like making j-law or claire foy Mm -hmm. like into some innocent damsel like i just wouldn't buy it they're too strong of character um, mm. in their performances that it's hard for me to not see that extra backbone that they have. That's interesting. I think I would have trouble if she did this role like now. Like I would have trouble seeing her as sort of this more innocent um, Yeah, and maybe this will tie in with Colette but... with why it's kind of mm. hard to see Kira Knightley as this victim. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know that I, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have described her as a victim. I, I wouldn't either, but I think that they, uh, in certain parts of Call It, when we get there, we're trying to mm, paint gotcha. her as the victim. Gotcha. Whereas I see Keira Knightley, the performer, and I, I remember her mm. murdering people in Domino, and I'm like, no, mm, this, not isn't, this isn't going to happen, guys. Um, yeah. So the the other most affecting thing, and I don't even remember who the actor was. It could have been Daniel day No, I think it was George. Um, mm-hmm. there, um, there's like the stabbing. Mm, yeah. that happens and um, she asks him not to tell anyone um, and he has to throw these photos that are coated in blood kind of into this fountain yeah and that was just a beautiful scene oh yeah like visually stunning yeah yeah that was another one that reminded me of call me by your name mm-hmm. they're in that kind of plaza and you're getting those shots of the the statues and mm-hmm. stuff and it reminded me of that scene in call me by your name where there's uh elio and i'm forgetting army hammer's character's name but they're sort of wandering elio um, and army army exactly <laughs> they're sort of wandering around that um statue when they go into town mm-hmm. having their first kind of conversation with each other about what they might want to do um you know sort of just this similar way of involving you know the the art of the surroundings into kind of the action of the scenes yes um, which, in, which to me was very elegant and the history right? yeah yeah exactly i believe it was a world war one statue yeah yeah you just sort of believe all the people that you know would have inhabited these spaces prior um and uh it's just nice um they're just lovely scenes yeah i i think that it, it speaks really well to luca's abilities that we just keep mm. talking about how this v- visually beautiful film yeah reminds us of call me by your name you know, yeah I, I think that really speaks to how well he he did that and i i believe that it's also an ivory screenplay is that correct yeah yeah, yeah. right exactly. so yeah how much is is luca's original ideas and how much is him kind of recycling his best stuff yeah into a comprehensive yeah. Uh, dialogue yeah um and I think it's kind of similar with Colette and, you know, these films kind of sharing this idea about, um, you know, the importance of kind of being true to yourself, you know, living the life you want to live and loving who you want to love. Um, I think that's part of what, you know, Elio's character is coming to realize throughout Call Me By Your Name. And that's what um, Lucy, Helena Bottom's character, is kind of realizing over the course of this film, um, along with this idea about um, just living life um uh, with as much passion, you know, as you as everybody kind of deserves. Um, there's that character here. I think his name's Mr. Beeb, um, who I kind of forget what his role is, um, but he is uh, first um, shown 
in Italy towards the beginning in the hotel and then he's kind of there throughout the film and we're talking kind about of, George's father uh not George's father I think he's like a chaplain or something okay like that. yes yeah yeah the, the preacher chaplain character. yeah gotcha gotcha um you know and he keeps having that line about um Lucy um where he says you know if only you know she lived like she played the piano um which I just thought this I, th- I thought that was a lovely line because I I was always kind of taken aback when she did play the piano. I thought those were beautiful scenes. Um, But, you know, she doesn't really get the opportunity to um, uh, pursue the romance that that she wants until towards the end. Um, But, like, is that even the romance she wants? Like, I can't tell. Just by... When I was mm. watching the movie, I couldn't tell if she just thought that she was supposed to, like, do this Mm. societal thing... Or if she really mm. desired either of these men. Mm. And then the way that she kisses Daniel Day-Lewis was like, okay, so does she desire him? You know, it, it was mm. a very confusing tone where, mm. it, you know, I think it was demonstrating her confusion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't doubt that, that, that there was um, confusion. And I think that's, that's why it does kind of take her so long to get there. You know, we get all those title cards with, uh, um, these phrases that say like Lucy lying to whoever um, and it's all about her kind of explaining to people why she can't do whatever it is that she that they want her to do and she says lying to Cecil Daniel Day-Lewis's character and then she tells him I can't marry you but it's not because there's anybody else and like I don't know that she thinks that she's lying there I think she sort of is confused about what she wants but Ooh, interesting um, tie-in yeah yeah for a star is born mm-hmm. <laughs> um but you know coming to that realization that um she should have the right to choose and pursue who she does feel she has a connection with regardless of whatever class george might be a part of and whatever daniel day lewis's character can offer um was enough for me to to get involved yeah yeah um but I'd, uh, I'd like to watch it on on a uh, as a stage play. Yeah, more than I'd like to rewatch it again. I should rewatch it. Mm. It's just I would like to see it performed as a play. I think more. Mm. I think I, yeah. I'd be more uh, swept up in the energy of a live performance of this mm. than I am when I'm interacting with the screen. I think it, I, there's something yeah. about the qualities of this that just kind of remove me from it. Um, mm. Whereas if I was in a cinema, perhaps I could get there. I think that that's why I was receptive enough to Call Me By Your Name to give it a positive review. But I, I mm. don't think I'd want to watch Call Me By Your Name now. You know, staring at my TV for three hours mm. um, isn't going to transport me to that world the way that that dark cinema did. Yeah, yeah. It would be uh, lovely to hear um, an actress, you know, play the piano on stage mm-hmm. in some of these scenes. That would be lovely. Um, but, you know, so much of what I do love about it is... Um, um, it's transporting me to these locations. Um, I don't know that a stage could quite pull that off, but I do think a stage adaptation would would be satisfying, just kind of in different ways. Yeah, um, yeah. You can't get to the same gardens you can get in a Midsummer's Night Dreams. Uh, yeah. Film adaptions. Yeah. But you can still perform the play and, and get the um, sense of of where you're at and let the characters kind of breathe life into you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could imagine Daniel Day Lewis being. Um, quite funny on stage oh yes um if he was you know even bigger sort of with the gestures 
you know, reaching for the back row, that could be quite amusing. You'll have to go to his cobbler office and ask him to unretire from yeah, acting. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll get on it. Cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. Do you, do you want to give a closing argument? Um, I think it's a lovely film. Um, I think the, the performances, uh, drew me in. I thought it was funny. I thought it was romantic. Um, but, um, you know, understand that it might be um, a bit uh, stuffy for some. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I actually, I, I kind of take that back. I think the humor sort of prevents it from ever becoming too stuffy for me. I was trying to just sort of represent the other side there. Um, I think it's lovely. You? Well, I, I just had one final closing thought. Uh, mm. Do you remember um, Interview with the Vampire? Remember Tom Cruise? Mm -hmm. I would love to see Tom Cruise play Daniel Day-Lewis's character in this. That could be pretty <laughs> that great. Stuffy, mm -hmm. goofball. I could get on board with that. He's got the piano <laughs> skills. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to Colette. My name is Claudine. I live in Montigny. I shall probably not die there. It's beautiful. We've never had one fly off the shelves like this before. And do you know who's buying it? Young women. Really. Subtle as ever. I have a little plan to turn Claudine into the most popular girl in the entire world. I believe Willie based Claudine on your school days. Yes, I think I had a little something to contribute. Call it. I gave this a three with a heart, I believe. You? I gave this a three without a heart. Oh, okay. So, okay. You know. Which is interesting, because you were originally a little higher on it, correct? Mm -hmm. Kind of came down just as it sunk in. Um, yeah, I think that I didn't log in until the day after, and I, um, yeah, nothing stuck with me meaningfully. Mm. Yeah. The, the further I got away from the beginning, the more I didn't like the end. Mm. Yeah, it's one that, uh, I was initially pretty confident in giving a three and a half, and then as kind of the days went by, um, I just had trouble sort of remembering any, like, particularly memorable moments. Um, like there's I one. In the middle. What, what, what's coming to mind? Uh, the woman that they're each having intercourses with. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yes. That was a good scene. Um, but I, I, it was kind of lacking a punch that um, I think would have um, resonated with me, you know, as, as time goes on. Yeah. I, I think that's um, just one of those true story things that gets in the way, you know. They never have mm, that punch. Yeah. Um, there wasn't much I, I actively disliked, you know. Kind of like you said before before it for me it just never soared to take mm -hmm. your words i think that's a great way to put it um i you know i sort of can appreciate this this arc of um her sort of unlike lucy in a room with the view who is very slowly kind of realizing that she maybe deserves um to consider her options and pursue who, who she wants to be with um i think colette is realizing that quite early on and it's about her um wanting recognition um wanting to write when she wants to write what she wants to write more partners um, yeah 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 again who she wants to be with um you know this is a, a character that i was absolutely interested in um but uh it just never kind of grabbed me like i i wanted it to yeah i feel like there's a better documentary to be made than mm, the future yeah. film that we were presented with. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, as much as I kind of liked Kira Knightley's performance, um, I think I'm going to kind of forget. Uh, I already it. am, to be yeah. honest with you. Like, it's already kind of drifting out. Like, I, I remember how I, like, I wasn't set up to believe the end in mm. any way. Like, I still, I understand that those are facts. I just didn't believe the narrative took me there. That yeah. she was that passionate about being in a play. She was mm. that passionate about her love for, um, what's his name? Um, I don't remember the, the character that she fell in love with, who was a, a Russian girl uh, princess, oh, yeah. I believe, yeah. and became a man. Um, and, and she kind of went off and, and did plays with him. Um, mm. I, like, I just didn't believe it. I don't yeah, like agree. to believe it. Um, I, I, I thought about that, too. I think that was maybe one of the weaker, weakest elements. Yeah. Was... Uh, that How and, sort of rousing that should have been, and I didn't feel much. That and uh, what's his name, Dominic Purcell's facial hair. That mm-hmm. was very hard to believe. I remember that as well. Um, yeah, I'm, production design wise, costume design wise, I think this kind of succeeds as a period piece. Um, yeah, it looks was, fine. Yeah, um, it's not like Call Me by Your Name though. You know, just to bring yeah, that back up. Yeah, like, um, that transported me to a time and a place. Mm. Like I went there. That was. The whole time I was looking at this, I was like, okay, that's pretty good props. But, like, I was always seeing props. Mm. Were, were you having that experience at all or no? Um, to some extent. Um, I mean, I think I maybe uh, kind of fell into its world a little bit more than you. And I did really enjoy her kind of the evolution of her wardrobe. I actually did find that quite um, Oh, yeah, when she got the Blake Lively suit going. Yeah, she oh, yeah. did go full Blake Lively in a simple favor. Um, I did, you know, find that kind of exciting for her to be um, pursuing that. Um, and that was probably the best thing about it for me, was was watching her... Um, Identity just, change visually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and inhabit it the way she wants to. Um, I liked that sequence and where they're doing portraits. Um like for like a little press tour or something like that. Um, I think I remember her like and Dominic photos West being taken. Yeah, yeah Dominic those were West, kind of not Dominic nice... Purcell. Yeah, Who's Dominic yeah. Purcell? Prison you break, said it, maybe? but I also couldn't remember his name at the moment, so I was like, I don't yeah. know. Who I, I think that he's from Prison Break. I can't ah, remember. Got it. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I thought those were were, were lovely shots. Um, I think it could have a very good chance of like um, best costume design. Um, towards the end of the year we'll see um, if Pure Street pieces. could talk's coming ah, yeah, true you know, true do they include foreign films that's a good question uh, right? like, like can Rama should. qualify could Cold War qual- I don't know there, I think that I'd make an argument that there's a lot of other things that I'd I'd like to see Vox Lux qualify I'd like to see yeah um, shoot uh, what's the movie that I just referenced Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick simple favor simple, right like yeah that had a great costume design yeah this uh, is this is my guess of it could not that it should yes uh, this is the tendency of like period pieces to be considered for production design and costume design like this seems like a, a, a clear choice where her wardrobe is key to you know um her shift in identity um yeah but you can make the case for a star is born you know i just sure. i i yeah. hate that modern costumes aren't given the same favor totally totally um that seems like an old habit that just won't die yeah um that that's it's a category that period films always get yep um but um 
Yeah, it's still one that I wouldn't discourage anybody from seeing. Um, no, I, think I thought it's it was fine. nice. I, I don't um, know that I think that she's gave a performance that is worth an award, um, or yeah. rather a nomination. Yeah. To begin with, because there's so many strong roles this year. You, yep. you know, if you put her in, are you taking Jennifer Lawrence's Red Sparrow out? Are you taking Claire Foy's Unsane out? Are you mm. are you taking uh, Tony Collette's uh, Hereditary out? Um, yeah. You know, you know, there's. Are you taking Lady Gaga's supporting role out, or is she mm. going to be nominated as a lead? Um, yeah. You, you know, how does this break down? Right, we got Natalie uh, Portman's Vox Lux coming. She's probably going to nab an arm yeah. for that. I mean, how many, how many actresses is she really better than this year? You know. Yeah, I would call it a long shot. Yeah. Maybe in the conversation, but it seems like it'll be a pretty competitive year. Yeah, so. yeah. But it was nice. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was a fine Saturday evening that we had. Yeah, I think so. It was pleasant. Um, yeah, I don't want to see it again. Yeah, not the um, top of my rewatch list. But it's, you know, it, anyone in your family that like really likes those period pieces I'd, I'd say oh you're probably gonna like this you know yeah kind of like if someone likes rom-coms you, you'd tell them like a simple favor's gonna gonna be great i yeah. think colette's gonna be just fine for the period yeah. uh peace lover in anyone's family i agree that is all i have to say about that i'm good with it what do we got next we got jeff bridges and his deep low bassatone voice and crazy heart <laughs> We ought to go out and find some trouble to get into. Yeah, big trouble. And this ain't no place for the weary kind. I knew what the risk were with you. And I took them. This ain't no place. That's one hell of a song. This is going to be your best year in the last seven. Yes. I gave this a three. You gave it a two. And a half. Two and a half. Two and a half. All right. We're basically the same. Yep. Kind of right down the middle. Um, I was uh, mildly entertained by this movie. Um, Jeff Bridges was... That's the right way to put it. Yeah. Great. Um, never really surprised me. Um, I thought I like Maggie Gyllenhaal. I liked her here. Um, Jeff Bridges was just fine. Um, I I never I doubted him. Just fine. Yeah. Um, he won the award that year. Yeah. Best performer. It makes you want to go back and see who else was up for it that year. I did look. And, who else? Anybody uh, interesting? Oh, yeah. There was a bunch of people that I think uh, should have won it. Yeah. I, I don't recall exactly who they are now because mm. uh, I'd wa- I'd looked it up when I was a few beers into my evening a couple ah, nights ago. But, there uh, you go. It, it's just not one of those roles that's going to be remembered. I, mm. I think it's already not remembered. Um yeah. Which is un- unfortunate, and, and I know that he put his heart and his soul in, into making that film. I, I've heard a few interviews with Jeff mm-hmm. about, about how much that meant to him, and I'm really glad that he got to have that experience. But as a viewer, I did not identify with what other people were talking about. Mm. Uh, when, when I think about films that, uh, that straddle this musical um, performance line, I, you know, I think about Joaquin Phoenix and, and Walk the Line mm. first. Yeah. I, think that's the, I think that's kind of the modern pinnacle that yeah. i've seen would you agree it's been a while since i've seen it so i don't want to say that when i don't remember it super clearly but i don't doubt it but for uh, me it's i like, remember it's that i remember rare. it being quite fond of it yeah um, i'd say that that are rare kind of the yeah. the men's performance uh pinnacle uh, of this 
thing of performing while being a, a singing mm. artist. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges never took me to that transcendental place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was nothing I ever kind of doubted about the, the, the character or his relationship with Maggie Gyllenhaal's character. I just needed um, something to surprise me about it. Um, I kind of felt like from the first 10 minutes, I understood who um, this character was. Bad Blake, I think his name is. Um, and I feel like his trajectory is just exactly what you're kind of expecting it to be. Um, yeah, but did you believe it? I think I did, okay. but I did not feel deeply for it. Um, I, I didn't believe that he mm. needed those pills or that alcohol at any point mm. in time the way that I did with Bradley. Yeah, so as a story of addiction, it kind of failed. Yeah, it reminded me very much of the terrible film uh, Star is Born 1976 starring Chris mm. Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. Mm -hmm. It's just a terrible film, and, and it's uh, tonal-wise, uh, Crazy Heart is very similar and mm. to Chris Christopherson's character. Um, and Bradley Cooper, I you know, either pulled from Crazy Heart or from... Uh, 1976 Star is Born or both in that way that he depicts the pills and the alcohol being mm. needed um, I, I, that pickup scene where Jeff Bridges pickup flips that's uh, where Chris mm. Christopherson dies in mm. the 76 version of A Star is Born um, so you, you know there, there's yeah. homages constantly and yeah. I could not see it because I just watched all three of them Yeah. Uh, before I'd watched Crazy Heart and then so it was just you know they're all yeah yeah in your head I, I was at just once, looking swirling. at what I'd already seen and I was not I, I didn't get enamored with it yeah um, yeah for me you know it's it's hard to not give it something less than a three because I I, I just really you know believed these characters um, were saying what they were saying and they were where they were you know these locations like um, the bowling alley where he first plays. Um, and the shots of people um, watching him perform and the smiles on their faces. I did, um, I was kind of affected by that. This, um, this image of people who um, regard him quite highly. Um, I thought those were kind of surprisingly actually moving scenes for me. Um, you know, which, which are just a very different kind of scene from the things we get in A Star is Born, where, you know, Bradley Cooper is a similar kind of character but is, um, you know, obviously um, having success that Bad Blake is not. Um, I was um, kind of moved by these scenes of a seemingly down-on-his-luck performer who nonetheless um, continues to move people. Um, the smiles on people's faces, like, I know that sounds, like, really simple, but I was like, these still feel like... Um, um, very real places to me it's very much like uh the exposition of the 76 stars board we'll say mm. Ooh, but that's the one you didn't like no it's a terrible film but i there, there are elements that are good i, I think the reason mm. that i didn't like crazy heart is because i didn't believe its narrative yeah um and i don't think that you necessarily need to buy into a narrative the way that i do i think that you're very mm. much more visually drawn into things yeah. whereas i need yeah. the story to work yeah and that's why i didn't give a favorable review to a room with a view um mm -hmm. I just boil it all down to narrative complaints, not problems with performance or visuals. Yeah. So I, I think that that's really fair. It's just, yeah, narrative yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. Relationship. Didn't buy it. Uh, you know, I want to like Maggie. I don't. Yeah. It's not a fan. Mm-mm. No. 
That's a kind way, but... Sounds pretty confident. She's uh, <laughs> the worst part of my favorite movie. So Which one? The Dark Knight. Oh, right. How can I forget? You liked Katie Holmes better? I liked Katie Holmes one? better, yeah. Yeah, would have just carried her through. I mean, I would have rather had a lot of other actresses than Maggie. You know, I, I get yeah. that whatever was happening with Tom Cruise at that point in time was... She, complex. She couldn't have worked anyways. <laughs> it's just I, Maggie doesn't work for me in this role. I, I think that mm. she's like Benedict Cumberbatch, where I need her mm. to inhabit a character over mm. a long period of time in a limited mm. series or a television show. Maggie yeah. works for me in The Deuce. No, I was just about to ask. Okay. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch works for me in um, Patrick Melrose. Mm. But when I'm watching these um, films where they seem to be stage acting, they seem to be impersonating mm. the person that they are playing, they seem to be wearing emotions on their face that are not true emotions coming from within. Mm. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. Interesting. Yeah, I think I like her better. Um, the one thing I wrote in my review which I wrote 20 minutes ago was as I tried to think about what it is she does that I do like it's just about her kind of knowing how long to hold a gaze um, towards the start of the film oh, as she's, she's no um, she's talented it, to mm. me it's all I see calculation mm. I think that um, yeah. Adam Kempinar complained uh, on film spotting that he could see the wheels turning in Cooper's face mm. as he was acting in A Star is Born and I have yeah. the, that would be the, the best way I think of, of communicating um, what it is yeah. I'm seeing. Like I absolutely agree. She's holding her eyes really, really well. Those sidelong glances where she looks at him and she's like calculating stuff. Yeah. But to me, it's she knows what she's doing and it's all on purpose. And I mm. don't like that style of acting personally. Yeah, it's interesting. You can see that. And it's a pretty big part. Well, if that doesn't work, yeah, movie's not going to work. Makes sense. Did you believe in the uh, him losing the boy? plot line um that should have fell apart not really no it kind of felt like there needed to be a problem um yeah. and this was a convenient way for that to inciting incident check exactly. all right moving on with the screenplay <laughs> cute little kid he's fine um this but... director did uh out of the furnace is that correct and hostiles hostiles right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. yeah i think that he's definitely come a long way mm. um and also you know when you have as many great actors and as much landscape as he did with Hostiles. That's yeah. something. But I, I think Out of the Furnace kind of the in what he did tonally to make me feel like the atmosphere was was palpable and and that you could kind of run your fingers through it mm. is for me missing in Crazy Heart. Mm. Yeah. It, it, do you feel like there was a palpable sense of an atmosphere during your experience? I think it was like atmosphere and mood wise, it was kind of consistent for me but maybe also just kind of thin um okay. you know um like i i never felt um just terribly strong for the 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 sense of sadness kind of weighing on this film uh, you know as we're kind of watching this guy spiral um it's like i i kind of get it but the the emotion was just a little thin somehow true yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I'd say there's a thin veil of atmosphere. Yeah. And it's basically all just Jeff Bridges' tone and face. Yeah. And, and kind of once you push past that, it, I don't know. The, the bars there. are just kind of bars. You know? mm-hmm. I don't really believe that those people weren't hired to be there. Yeah. Um, I, mm-hmm. I did have that problem a bit in A Star is Born where I couldn't not see the crowds that were just people paid 
as extras and be there <laughs> to do oh that. that crossed my mind once or twice that's uh, hard to, to do yeah yeah but we both still gave it a four so you know yeah. it, it worked yeah. out well it's just eh. yeah i know yeah that is that is tricky to do um but yeah that's one thing i actually think crazy heart did okay for me was um populate those crowds with with human yeah. faces right you know, that's something you lose when you when you have go to go big, big. Yeah. yeah um are the people um the couples right yeah. you know there was a husband who said can you you know make this out to my husband uh, or to my to my wife um you know th- those were those were touches that i believed um yeah. but and, and i mean there's yeah. touches right sign my yeah. tits mickey yeah <laughs> funny stuff yeah <laughs> um yeah i i don't have much else to say i i think it's an interesting yeah. uh, evolution for i believe scott cooper mm-hmm. uh just to, to track him and I, i'd like to keep an eye on what he's doing next hopefully we get a 2019 entry from him but yeah yeah i was kind of interested in it for jeff bridges and then i kind of realized that it's mostly what jeff bridges does so it didn't surprise me but no, that's okay it's, it's just his <laughs> iron man character with the guitar pretty much <laughs> that's okay all right well that is crazy heart directed by scott cooper starring maggie gyllenhaal and jeff bridges that's let's right. get to the supernova itself the white dwarf stars born tell me something boy aren't you tired trying to fill that void or do you need more ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. It's pretty good. I started writing this song the other day. Maybe that could work, like as a chorus or something. Directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper, as well as Lady Gaga herself. That is Rabbit to you. Rabbit. Rabbit? See, he already forgot Avengers, folks. Ooh. Remember when Thor calls Rocket Raccoon Rabbit? No. Come on, I don't Rabbit. That. Uh, so they're they're having this interaction in the spaceship with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And he goes to steal the pod, and then mm-hmm. Rocket Raccoon agrees to go with him, and he's like, "Yes, come, Rabbit." <laughs> oh yeah, that definitely went over my head. And he he just keeps calling him Rabbit kind of throughout the whole film. It's a very fun note. Got to revisit it. You're, you're missing out on. I, I think Sadly. he gave it a. Perhaps one third of the review of your favorite Marvel film of all time, Venom. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyways, back to Star is Born. Bradley right. Cooper, uh, mm. Stephanie Germanata, also known as Lady Gaga. Roma, Roma, Ma. Yes, we both gave it the same score: four stars and the heart. And the heart. Yeah. Um, I think I very much could go higher on this one. Just as some time passes. Um, Sometimes this happens for me when there's highly anticipated and muchly dis- much discussed titles that I just kind of need some distance from. Like as the hype kind of dies down, the marketing kind of fades from my memory. When you say hype, do you mean like when we watched a movie and there was a trailer for uh, it every other trailer? Yeah, we, I think it was when scenes? we saw The Nun yes. that there was a trailer. There were four trailers for I, a I think Star it was Sport. five, actually. 
it was impressive. It like let us in, and then there was a trailer, and there was uh, another scene, and then there was a trailer, and then there was another scene, and then there was a trailer, and then there was another scene. I wasn't even was mad. I was just like, wow, that's commitment. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> I thought we might need to like alert. It was a better than the non theater representative. Absolutely, we should have just watched more trailers. Yeah, we should have navigated it out. Um, so, I. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I can come up on this, to be honest. Um, I, I was kind of disappointed with it. Yeah. Um, as a film, not mm. as a performance piece. I think it was beautifully mm. performed by everyone involved. I think that the I, the thing everyone's complaining about, I thought was really expertly done when they mm. um, go get married mm. with um, Eddie Griffin and Dave Chappelle. I think that that, huh. that whole bridge scene, starting from when Dave pulls him up, uh, in the yeah. in the lawn in the street to kind of the the exit of that marriage uh, or or their um, consummated marriage. Yeah, I thought that was a really well timed thing to kind of yeah. separate who we who who fell in love and yeah. who is trying to exist and maintain love. Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of surprised that that has been as uh, contested as it has. Um, I wouldn't have expected that. People say that it, it compromised the tone of the film. Interesting. No, I to completely me, to agree. Me it's that, like the bridge of a song. Yeah, it's to necessary. me there is a that is a that is a pivot point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't feel that way at all. But That's you know, um, I think that a lot of people kind of have Josh Larson's complaint that um, mm. I just don't agree with, or, or um, I, I don't think that they're interpreting it correctly, which is mm. you know not a nice thing to say and kind of <laughs> egotistical on my part, but. <laughs> Uh, having just watched all of them this yeah. week, I, I think that there's a clear tone to be had to th- that is being depicted about what the cost of performance is mm. to the performers, yeah. and a lot of people are interpreting uh, Bradley Cooper's fall as um, his own weakness um, mm. at, at not being able to handle her success, and I think that that's the wrong way to mm. look at it. I, I think that it's hard for him to handle her success. But mm. the way that um, the the wheels kept turning, the the mm. way that you need to be as a performer in order to succeed has changed to a yeah. point where he can't live in that world anymore and be successful. Yeah, and he feels like it's easier to to quit. Um, and, and I'll yeah. spoil it for you. In every single Star Is Born, yeah. he always kills himself. I, that was a question I had. Or okay. dies. So Chris Christopherson dies not on purpose. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. You know he's you know drinking and driving and, and taking a shit ton of pills so yeah you know, it's on him but then yeah. uh it, it's kind of suicides in 34 or 37 and 54 and then suicide obviously in this one mm. by hanging yeah that's interesting so that was yeah so josh larson josh larson's complaint was specifically about cooper's arc and his, his complaint tragedy. specifically is um I mean, it's really multi-layered. It's just one of those things where I completely disagree, like billboards, with him. Like mm. I just disagree with his ethics yeah. on on this um, issue, mm. which I, I think is fine. And this is probably where the most interesting conversations will come of the year. Yeah. But his complaint is that um, he views the film as blaming Stephanie, or or uh, what mm. was her character in the uh, alley. Yeah, Allie in, in the narrative uh, not Esther for whatever reason should have been mm. Esther damn it um, he, he views it as blaming her um, and, and that he killed himself because of her 
mm. rise that she was too successful and he couldn't handle it and i think that that's mm. just a little bit of personal politics getting mm. in the way of, of the classic narrative of these characters and and mm. what's affecting them externally within the narrative mm. yeah i mean i think i would kind of argue against that with with like the the clearest dialogue from the film and uh bradley cooper's brother saying to uh Allie, you know when she's weeping towards the end like this is nobody's fault but uh bradley cooper's Mm -hmm. um and like i think that's exactly right like to me that there there is a story that you know the alternative story here is that he never meets Allie's character and he kills himself anyways with alcoholism Mm -hmm. so like to me it doesn't like i don't know that i really buy that yeah i I think that there's i think that he had a separate thing that was like um he, I think he viewed it as a meta-commentary about Lady Gaga's career as well, like the mm. SNL thing, where, mm. to me, none of it was commentary about her career. It was all about commentary about the music industry and how soul-crushing it is mm. to be successful and how he mm. couldn't handle that and how he'd gotten that far by doping himself up mm. and that the biggest light that ever entered his life is Allie. And then seeing yeah. her... Um, have to navigate and become part kind of a symbiote Venom style with the Mm. industry in order to be successful Um, I I think contributed to it but I I don't think that you just blame her you know I don't know it was really troubling to me like I listened to it and kind of was filled with rage that's interesting (laughs) yeah I'll I'll have to go read or listen to it Um, that never would have crossed my mind I didn't feel it episode from yesterday yeah um, that's film spotting episode 700 folks there you go number one fan <laughs> hey um, there's no uh there's no this show without that show yeah pretty much um yeah every time like any kind of metatextual ideas came to mind about this having anything to do with lady gaga's career um i immediately kind of found myself less interested in that interpretation i kind of just put that out of my mind yeah i think that I because like we got to see five foot two it that way. um we know that it's not true yeah, yeah. Be- because she's never laying in agony so we yeah. know that it's just not you know like this is a film because yeah. the the real stephanie is you know racked with pain and and a workaholic and this Allie yeah. was had enough free time to just focus on on him you know it was yeah. kind of unbelievable <laughs> yeah yeah to me it's a it's a disservice to lady gaga as an actress to to read in it read into it too much as a um you know comment on her career like i think I this is her as a an actress um it, she's wonderful. playing a character um, i think she's wonderful yeah i do too i i think she's a uh, top four performer for me this year Ooh, yeah that's high yeah in a competitive year mm-hmm. um yeah you use the a word authenticity mm-hmm. right Yep, which yeah, I think is I, I think it's the most important thing in a film like this. Yeah, um, I agree. I would. I think that word is wildly appropriate. Um, to me, there were there were kind of interesting, um, a, an interesting variety of tones as we see her give this very sort of realistic, kind of naturalistic performance. Um, yes, which I think Bradley Cooper does as well. But there are almost moments of like something more like melodrama to me i don't mean that as a pejorative but when i think about him confronting his brother um about having sold his dad's farm um and they're up in each other's faces Mm -hmm. um that scene 
worked for me, but in a very kind of different way than some of the other scenes, which I feel like have um, more of a kind of raw realism to yeah, it, right? It There's of sort of startling. a heightened drama of those scenes. You, you know what's interesting is as a viewer, I feel like when he hit um, Sam Elliott in the face, I kind of felt like I was hit in the face. Yeah. Like, like it was jarring. Like, that's the only yeah. scene in the film that's like that. Yeah. Um, the the only other thing that's comparable in emotion that was just as taken aback, but I didn't feel like I was hit in the face. I felt like my heart was broken. Was when he told her she was ugly. Yeah. That just Painful. broke my heart. You know. It, it, yeah. Which means that I'm vibing with the characters, which kind of mm. keeps you, you know, in a in an objective sense, aware of how well you're receiving the film. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was uh one of the more difficult scenes for sure um i i can only imagine that like the start of this movie maybe differs from the remakes like does their coming together um uh vary from film to film or no absolutely yeah okay yeah yeah this mm-hmm. is i i'm the thing is they come together he's yeah. already successful but he's on his way down he's yeah. he's uh addicted to at least alcohol which mm-hmm. should be considered a drug. You know, it makes no yeah. sense. It should be poisons and drugs or something, not alcohol and drugs. It's not useful. Yeah. Um, but kind of the thing that's weakest about this is um, that they didn't commit to a presentation of narrative that was non-naturalistic. And mm. the thing about the 54 version that is so, so, so good yeah. is that they had Judy Garland yeah and they were able mm-hmm. to put on the best pageantry yeah possibly that is depicted in that kind of a story where, where mm. there's dark depths and there's also these high highs yeah. um and she's singing and dancing you through it yeah and you're seeing her in between these scenes um and then it's always mm. back to singing and dancing with these huge amounts of stage production yeah and this is so naturalistic that you don't get the I, I don't think that you navigate the same tones that the 54 does. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's why 54, for me, is a perfect film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's it's a tonally interesting movie. I was expecting something with a much more conventional rhythm than what I got. Um, there are many moments where I expected a big ballad that was sort of going to be pandering in some way. And then they instantly cut. Yeah. Um, and I and they set it up that. a lot, right? Yeah, that kept me on my toes. I really enjoyed that. Um, Did you, know, you cry in this film? I came close a couple times, a couple times, no doubt. I, um, I didn't like saw it, but I had tears rolling down. Yeah, um, it, it it was I was on the brink of it for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that tempo did sort of surprise me and and um, keep me engaged. Um, sort of not knowing. Um, when transitions might be smooth versus abrupt. I mean, some are quite smooth. Some scenes have sound bridges where the sound kind of carries from one scene into the next, and then the next cut is much more abrupt. Um, I think that's very kind of in keeping with the unpredictability of him um, and his addiction, you know? Mm-hmm. Him having these nights where he is as drunk as ever and Gaga's, um, oh, you know, comfortable with it for lack of a better word um and you don't know when it just might crush him yeah yeah um so i've got like a multi-pronged question Mm. hopefully we can work through and i'll remember um 
Number one, why do you think he killed himself? Mm. I would describe this character as severely depressed. I agree. One. So I would in no way attribute this to her, for one. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, do I think the record label executive got in his head? Probably. Do you think that that scene... So this is part of it. Do you think that that scene was effective? With the record label executive? Yes. No. I, I think that that scene should exist, and I don't think mm. that's the right rendition of that scene. I think that the right rendition of that scene is just him telling him the truth. Mm. And then... Because I think that it is partially Lady Gaga's uh, mm. character, Allie, that causes him to do this. And and mm. I think that the best way to execute it is that he just tells him the truth. And then Lady mm. Gaga comes in and tells him the lie. Mm. And then he realizes that in order to maintain his relationship, or her, in order to maintain their relationship, she has to coddle him and lie to him because he can't function in the real world correctly. Mm. Yeah. And th th that kind of you know finalizes his decision yeah yeah to me the, the problem kind of came when you know i kind of came to the conclusion that this discussion with the exec is what at least in part propelled him to suicide the problem kind of started earlier with the record label exec as a character yeah no he's a bad actor he's a bad actor not like, like a psychological bad actor but like mm. at acting he's not good yeah i mean th this could be something you know that that all the remakes or all the other versions had and therefore no. this is still just a problem nope. no it's a unique thing yep um yeah this interpretation is very much an amalgamation of the three previous and yeah. i would say lots of the tone of crazy heart mm, gotcha um i just felt like for a movie that's sort of taking on a unique rhythm this character kind of came out of nowhere as a really surprising cliche for me. I mean, this is like, to me, that felt like the kind of character that Paul Giamatti usually plays, the mean record label well, exec. Well, I was like, oh, I believe gotcha, that, gotcha, gotcha. that that kind of person Yeah, the exists. Cosmopolis character. Cosmopolis. Uh, Robert Pattinson. Uh, oh, I didn't see that one. Oh. I was thinking, like, straight out of Compton or Love and Mercy, Paul mm -hmm. Giamatti has these, Yeah, you know, straight out of Compton's bad, a great role for him. The yeah, bad that's a fun. label rep um props that's a high five <laughs> i don't like i get that that i don't doubt like that those people exist and that they exert pressure and stress on musicians but like there has just got to be more interesting ways to represent those people yeah um, like, I, I was I like think it just i just feel like with, i've seen this character a dozen times i think that um the most jarring thing about it isn't that he was so bad it's that bradley cooper cast the rest of this film so fucking well mm that this was just a, a glaring hole yeah you know it, it it's not that i i don't think that he was probably terrible he probably did what he was asked to do but when yeah. you have sam elliott and uh dave Chappelle and eddie griffin just as side characters yeah. uh in, in kind of this really believable down-to-earth vibe and and this mm. um magnetism of these two characters walking you through the film you need someone with more backbone, right? Like Nick mm. Offerman with a beard would have been a much more mm. compelling um, character of force because then you'd at least yeah. believe him. You know, yeah. it's hard for me to believe that this guy that doesn't have socks that show can deeply affect mm. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, like it's a funny yeah. moment. I laugh, but I also think it's kind of a problem to kind of be breaking that, breaking that character down at the same time that we're supposed to believe he is 
sort of intimidating enough to put the pressure on Lady Gaga's character that he does. Yeah. Like, I, I just didn't, I just couldn't really buy that this pretty young guy was as, um, you know, uh, sort of towering as uh, of a figure as he was made out to be. Um, right. I was like, like, this just seems like so obviously a mistake to me. Like, I feel like I'm missing something here. But I 100% um, agree. What'd you think of ADC? Who is ADC? Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, um, I liked him actually. Dice was pretty damn good, yeah, right? He is pretty good. I honestly didn't know it was him. And then I was oh. listening to the podcast, uh, Film Spotting, and I was like, wait, that's Andrew Dice Clay. And I went and looked at it. And I was like, holy shit, that's mm. Dice. Like, I'm so used yeah. to his persona with the leather gloves and the sunglasses mm. and the. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah and that makes more sense how when he hit that tone mm. um later when he's like carrying him to the shower with i think stacy keach is that right that's the actress's name uh, oh i, I gotcha. think that there's yeah. an actor stacy gotcha. keach yeah. uh who's his friend who's works yep. for him as a driver um and in they're taking him to the shower like the the dice came out then mm. you know the angry father was yeah like those I, I think that all that supporting strength and, and magnetism of this world is yeah. why that record label thing didn't work. But I, th I think that Bradley was trying to do something there yeah. to show you how the record label world isn't, or like the music industry world is nothing like the real world and why he can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, like, I, I think, you know, I kind of say that, like, I, I kind of want to revisit it later. Like to me, like there's something too. too obvious about it that like, I think I might be kind of missing um, too much of this movie did sort of, um, feel distinct to me and kind of like it was from a unique voice for that cliche to um, f for me to, to, to just uh, criticize it too much for that one thing like I, I kind of want to try to come back at it from a different angle or something like that to quote the title of John Goodman film we're back here we go no dinosaurs in New York this time and so is that goddamn leaf blower that son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> think it'll pick it that up it's fine. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, kind of faint. Last week we had tapping, and I, you know, it's mm. always gonna have something. Yeah, we were talking about the record label executive. I don't know that I have a lot more to say about him. He was just a character that took me out of it a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but what else have we kind of not touched on? Um, the performances uh, themselves, like uh, the musical performances. I mean, um, were always. Um, great moments for me a delight yeah um and again not quite what i was expecting i was expecting something um a bit more cliche for her to kind of come on with more confidence than she might really have but her first performance i thought was was just right in sort of her um anxiety but uh um nonetheless self-assured i don't know it just it just worked um, did you like all the all the performances themselves? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so if, something that you didn't get to experience because it's extra textual to the other mm -hmm. films. 1954. Um, Judy Garland is is brought on. I don't uh, Esther is brought on, and she's being made up mm. to be a star. Mm. And they, because her nose is wrong, they put in this little fill thing that's uh, mm. kind of like a sticker. Mm. So. Um, when when Bradley Cooper's peeling off her eyebrow, mm. like that's an homage to the 
peeling off the nose thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Got it. How did people respond in your theater to to most of this movie? Did were you hearing not a um, sound? It was completely quiet. sold out. No yeah. one made a fucking sound. Interesting. Me yeah. crying was the last thing. <laughs> you gently weeping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was weird for me. There were some some uh, kind of uncomfortable giggles uh, because I think some of these um, close ups kind of maybe like caught people off guard. Uh, mm-hmm. with how attentive the camera was to the peeling off of the eyebrow. There were some giggles. They're like, oh my gosh, like how much of this movie is going to be close-ups on Lady Gaga's nose? Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's very mother-like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's courtesy of Matthew Libatique. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Same cinematographer mm-hmm. as Mother, as Venom, and for A Star is Born. Busy guy. Should, well, uh... if you look at his previous filmography, he's got kind of like, where it's like one movie a year and you're like what are you doing mm. man yes it's selective yeah I'd say maybe not it seems like he could be doing busy. four a year yeah um yeah we haven't really talked or about I'd his like cinematography for a year i should say yeah did you like his work here yes yeah, yeah. It, it very much evoked that mother that i love it's, it's mm. that close-up um sense of i think that when you do these close-ups if the actors are truly talented, um, their performance evokes the atmosphere of the mm-hmm. film. And I think that that, that style gave it the atmosphere. That I, I, I loved looking at it. I loved looking at Bradley. I loved looking at Stephanie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked most of the camera work. Um, you know, in terms of uh, the colors he's using, like that did kind of surprise me. Um, this was a more colorful movie than what, I was What expecting. colors you used? Uh, like reds and blues. Like okay. I was expecting something more. Isn't that um, uh, American? It is American. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like relative to Crazy Heart, for example, sure. which I think is more um, grays, browns, kind of what you think of when you think of kind of dry, rural middle America, mm-hmm. which I kind of thought we were going to get in this kind of country vibe of A Star is Born. But you only but get, we get really in Arizona sequences. Yeah, yeah. And we get, um, you know, some some really some soft but really strong red and blue kind of filling the frame okay. um which is very uh patriotic i guess and and american um i'm still not quite sure what to do with it like to me the the color choices were so conspicuous in how they filled the frame sometimes um that i'm not quite sure how that was communicating anything about these characters or the emotions or the themes um, it might be communicating who they're playing to. It could be. I don't know. Yeah. That's certainly possible. I don't know that that, 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 that alone does much for me. So um, there's some interest, just to interrupt, because why not? Yeah, do it. There's an interesting um, performance where I, I think that they're kind of at their height before she gets signed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're performing, and there's this huge stage, and this is the, basically the this or there's a huge crowd. Sorry, it's a big stage too, but it's a mm-hmm. huge crowd. I think it's like the biggest crowd we get in the first half before the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- they kind of the the way that Libatique uses the camera, he gets us a close up of Bradley and and of Stephanie, mm. but what he does is he gets a lens flare mm. that covers up the crowd. And it mm. only kind of lets you see the flags move and then the silhouettes mm. of people on the right side or on yeah. the left side. Yeah. Um, and I think what that does is it, it kind of, even though there's all these people there, it's it's a private moment for them. 
And then maybe what the color scheme is doing is, is it's showing, you know, who's witnessing this private moment for them. Mm. Um, yeah. And kind of the broad strokes. Yeah, that's that interesting. Yeah. Using... I, I think that lens flare was really purposeful because I just, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, they are, they're quite willing to allow the lens flares to, to happen. There are, there are a lot. Um, you know, but they didn't seem out of place, did they? Like J.J. Abrams seems like really specific. This felt like I don't know, like rural and contemporary. I guess. Mm. Yeah, um, it's weird. But, like it didn't feel out of place, especially when like Bradley Cooper is performing in a couple scenes at like the start of a show, and he's kind of doing his first, you know, slaying of the guitar. The screen is just kind of littered with lens flares, mm-hmm. and it is kind of just this eruption of what the music does to you which I think is effective. Um, yeah, the light's but, kind of making you visualize your emotions. Yeah, and that was, I think that made kind of emotional sense to me. Um, but, you know, with some of this really prominent use of of color in other places where red and blue is kind of dominating the frame, I think that does, like, very specifically culminate immediately following that the suicide. And we get this wide shot of the house, and it kind of zooms into the house, and there are these kind of flashes of reds and blues within the house. Oh, right. The police lights uh, are going off. Oh, it's that, that makes more sense. Is that what that was? That's what I didn't I see any, it like, any police cars or anything like that. Um, no, but there's like there's lights dancing up and down like in a siren pattern. Uh, maybe so I thought that, that was, was. The, the police went because uh, they were doing like a, a, what is that, welfare check. God, that makes a lot more sense. To me, like, it didn't, to me, like, it just didn't look like a siren. Like, I just thought that this was a a heightening of all these kind of other I mean, colorful may- maybe flourishes right, we've seen. Because I'm just seeing the lights move in that pattern. Right. So to me, that's just, oh, the, you know, the sharp objects lights are going off. That makes me feel stupid. But at the time, I was just like, it seemed like a, you know, conclusion of all these flourishes that we had seen. And I was it like, I'm is. not sure it was anything for more than just it looking good which sometimes is enough but to me it felt a little contrived or something i I think that there's probably a middle ground where like we're we each saw something on the far edges of what he's trying to communicate right you're seeing these reds and blues throughout the last thing we see then would be the police sirens reds and blues so Mm. like what is that whole Mm. color scheme idea of communicating safety emergency um Mm. you know like like so if the reds and blues are everywhere besides where he's at on stage mm. then is he barely avoiding an emergency you know mm. that that is interesting to consider to me, like that actually all just kind of clicked if that's if that's something i can kind of see on second viewing that's like a much 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 more interesting use of it for me um whereas i thought it was maybe in some way trying to be patriotic and it, i just didn't get anything out of it but if you see that as all sort of leading to um, his ultimate kind of demise, which results in um, the police having to show up and um, deal with this tragedy. Like, that is sort of very effective um, uh, visual cues leading you towards this this, this tragedy. It's ultimately, a, you know, a tragedy. Um, um. You, you say patriotism. I, I mean, I can't see the colors, but I, I mm. wouldn't assume that he's kind of going for that nationalistic patriotism that we would associate. Mm. I, I think that it's more like, you know, 
I'm an inhabitant of this country. These are the colors of this country. This is how mm. I see the country. Yeah. More than nationalistic patriotism. Right. If at anything, how it's how the tone of people the at those shows might see it. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I would agree. Okay. I just wanted to figure out if we were firing on the same cylinders. And yeah. then, um, so I've never seen the love interest of the star who was born not die. You'd never seen mm. a star is born. Did the death mm. take you by surprise? Yeah, it kind of did. Uh, I wish I was you. <laughs> That's like the one thing where like, if I didn't know he was going to die, it really could have made the film like a four and a half. Because mm. then it would have been more effective. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a um, tremendous... Uh, tremendously heartbreaking um, to watch that take place uh, when I did not expect it. Um, I really thought we were leading towards a happy ending, to be quite straightforward about it. I was like, yep, I kind of see where this is going, and it did not go where I thought it was going to go. Films named A Star is Born have never ended happily. mm -hmm. They always end with uh, an ode to the dead lover. Yeah. To a large public audience. Yeah. Um... I went into it fully expecting to define this movie as a romance, which I guess I still do, but I defined it even as first a Roma, and foremost. Roma mance. Ah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I maybe define it like before the word romance even comes to mind, I think of the word tragedy. Um, because to me, what is kind of unique about his arc relative to, say, um, Bad Blake's arc in Crazy Heart is that his Bad Blake's career is, is spiraling along with his addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, his until his, he gets clean and changes his name. Yeah, um, but like every shot we get of Bradley Cooper performing, he's kind of still at the top of his game, right? Um, no, no, I disagree so? because um, th- there's these heartbreaking moments mm-hmm. where you see that he can't hear anymore and that what he's doing is just off Mm. of repetition and that it's Mm. all going to be degradation from here on out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, dude. Doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there where I was going with that. Um, What do you got? I forgot where I was. I, I, I mean, what, what do you think about that <laughs> SNL sequence? Um, oh, the SNL sequence. Uh, what do you think about it? I don't think it's a commentary about Lady Gaga. A lot mm. of people are saying it is. I don't think it is. I think it's a commentary about um, what becomes popularized and what populism looks like in the music industry. Mm. Um, and, and that it doesn't look like artistry. And that that, that is deeply... Mm. It, it was disturbing to look at. I was affected. I was like, this mm. is not the most beautiful. This is maybe the worst thing that we've listened to mm. in this film, as far as uh, a song. Mm. And I, like, I was sad. Mm. And then I got sadder watching him choose to drink. Mm. And then I got even sadder watching Sam Shepard um, ask him a question and then him say mm. an answer that's totally unrelated. I think he asks him, uh, how is the hearing going? Because you can tell that he can't hear well anymore. And he goes... Oh, I'm doing great. Doing doing fine. I just, you know, touring. How how have you been doing? Mm, you know, when yeah. the question is a very specific thing that he didn't even hear. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I had, I was still sort of wrestling, you know, with some ideas that were going through my head as I saw her become this more pop star figure. As As you saw her become Allie. Yes. And leaves her kind of country roots. Um, I had kind of mixed feelings about this, and I'm kind of just spitting off the cuff here because I don't know if that I've really worked out these ideas yet. Um, But I think sometimes um, it's unfairly assumed about music unlike other arts, that the best music is always the kind that um, is something that's coming directly from the heart. Like, I think there are artists who who tell stories from perspectives other than their own. Bear with me. Um, I agree. Yeah. And when she says in the bathtub, like, he's kind of reciting some of the lyrics she sang on SNL. And he's saying, like, that's bullshit. This is before he calls her ugly? Yeah, he's saying, like, that's bullshit. That's not you. He's totally right. She also says, I wrote that. What's wrong with it? I I don't see, like, that as problematic in itself. Like, I, I think artists kind of should be allowed to, um, you know... Artists should sing, be allowed to have freedom of speech, period. Yeah, sing from all kinds of different perspectives. <laughs> like, I don't think we would have pop music if you, if you thought that such music was was not good because it's it's not what these people truly mean like i don't think that's why pop music is good um, well I, I think a lot of pop music is bad but then you know you get like melodrama from lord this year and you're like mm. jesus christ i love pop music or you get yeah. um saint vincent's uh what is it mass seduction mm. which is just an incredible piece of pop music you know i wouldn't mm. even call it pop but it's classified as pop as a genre mm. and you know I, how do we get there on the backs of Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears and a bunch mm. of songwriters and a bunch of blonde girls that you know used to be on Disney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I really have like an argument that I'm like that I have clearly defined yet, but like I do think this. But you have this, an argument. What is your argument? I think this movie is 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 saying something about um, it being a mistake of her to pursue this route of pop music which I, I find questionable. Um, I, I don't doubt that this character might have something like that in her. Um, does that make any sense? Um, I, she looked I, I genuinely think... kind of happy to me when she was singing some of that pop music and she said, no, I don't want the dancers. Um, that and... was not the same thing. That was her songwriting presented yeah. in a pop fashion, Yeah, which I would say mm-hmm. is what Lord does. It's what mm. I would say that St. Vincent does. I think that's what the best pop is. Mm. When a clear authorial voice, basically an auteur of music mm. and lyricism, is able to communicate something in a in a contemporary way. Mm. And I, I, I don't think that the dancers had anything um, really deep to, to say. I, I don't really buy into that argument. I think that dancing mm. is one of the most um, important and oldest traditions of humanity. So I, it, that yeah. didn't really work for me, but her statement of, of like that character within that world is not a dancer. Mm. But we're corrupted. We've seen five foot two already. We've already yeah. reviewed it. It's just not out to them yet. Um, mm. So we know she's a dancer. We know she's an incredibly capable dancer and that she mm. loves her dancers and that she treats her dancers like her family. Um, mm. So that, you know, I, I couldn't buy into that to begin with. Mm. Um but I, I think that what it's communicating is once again about the music industry mm. and about the corruption of identity um, that, yeah. that the music industry enforces for 
um, product and, and yeah. for for uh, profitability. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, it comes down very clearly um, against the record label execs' uh, intent for her career. Like, I don't, I don't think that there's any ambiguity about the film's attitude towards him and what he wants to do in terms of shaping her career. Yeah. Um, but this, I, this idea sometimes that um, artists can't be allowed to um, make music from a perspective um, that's not their own, um, I think is kind of false. Um, I, would, I, like, I would agree, because I, yeah. I like seeing directors direct things that aren't from their perspective, right? Yeah. If yeah. Spielberg only made things from his perspective, he, you know, I, I mean, you argue every film we see from him is from his perspective, and, and I would agree, mm. but he's still presenting stories that are not his from his perspective. Yeah, yeah. There's a... Uh, it's when Bradley Cooper passes out at, like, the first night the Lady Gaga's yeah, with when, him. Yeah, when she goes to to clean off in the bathroom that, yeah that exactly. was the last time i remember people laughing in, yeah. in my screening yeah and she goes and knocks on her friend's door asking him like will you come wake him up for me and he's listening to tyler the creator there tyler the creator is a very unique artist and i think that he never tells or makes any music that's really from his own perspective right he's always telling stories from these sort of fictitious violent psychopathic um voices i still think um, that's his voice of expression yeah, but would you agree that that's very different from somebody who's, like, speaking directly from their own emotion? I don't, I don't know that... Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm... But I think it's kind of at this crosshatch where it's like, yeah, that, that is his ego. That, yeah, mm. Right, like, that's his stage persona. And that's what he figured out that people like to listen to. But once you continuously perform like that, the, the question is do you somewhat become that? Mm. And I think that that's maybe what Colette was wrestling with at some points. Yeah. And why she stopped writing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, That's fun. Talk about Tyler, the creator on the podcast. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It just, it came to mind because I wasn't expecting to hear Tyler, the creator in a star is born. When when can we get Gambino on here? (laughs) We'll work him in. No, we won't. He'll be back to Donald Glover by the time that we get to him. Yeah, true. Um, anything else about it that comes to mind? I mean, um, how did the ending affect you? Did it affect you? What Were you taken out of it? Did you not believe it? Um, what did you think about mm-hmm. that final song? I was affected by the final song. Um, I thought it was deeply emotional. Um, uh... I also don't know that I'll remember it particularly, but um, I was affected by it in the moment. Absolutely. You? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it worked for me, but I, mm. <clears throat> I've i heard that that last scene doesn't work for some people. That that scene mm. is, um, you, you know, the location has changed. I think that was the Grammy Awards. Or was that just um, was I that was just understanding, for him? Oh, yeah, I was understanding it was almost like a eulogy or something, or, or uh, yeah, a yeah, service yeah. of some yeah. kind. Okay, yeah, so maybe that was service. a service. Yeah. Um, I think the first two, 37, 54, were Oscars where she's performing. Um, mm-hmm. That would have been Esther. And then Esther, played by Barbara Streisand, I think was at the Grammys. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, you know, I there's not something that happened in this that I didn't expect besides the marriage bridge with Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. and Eddie Griffin, which was fantastic again. Mm-hmm. But I, 
uh, there's a lot of people complaining about that scene, specifically the very Indies. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I just wondered how how you took that in and, and if it worked for you. A lot of people are saying that that song was a really really weak song and that they didn't respond to it. And I thought mm-hmm. I thought it was a deeply troubling and romantic thing. I, I think the whole I, I think we were talking or you you were talking about how um, it's it's straddling like being a romantic film and then something mm. else on the total opposite side. I can't remember exactly what you said. Um, mm. it, it, kind of something visceral. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, to me, there is sort of this startling realism to her performance. That's contrasted with, um, what I would describe as melodrama at times. Yeah. 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 And to me, that's what love is. That's what a love mm. story is. Yeah. A love story is the fights and the love. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like it's kind that. of this confluence of the messiness of certain interactions with it just being more passionate than you can imagine yeah. somehow. Yeah, and, and like I think my favorite love stories, and, and arguably like the favorite love stories of, of mankind, as as far as the English language genre goes, Western canon, if you will, our favorite love stories they don't end up together. Mm, yeah, you know, Romeo and Juliet. For me, like my favorite is uh, a Philip Pullman story called *His Dark Materials* where mm. they don't end up together. And it's like, mm. I'd never, I've probably and probably never will cry as hard as I did when I finished that for the first time when I was 12. Mm. It's just, you, when you believe someone, or when you believe two people are truly in love and that they're the best mm. people for each other and that they can't be together because of the way that the world works. Yeah. That's real. And that's deeply yeah. disturbing and sad. Yeah. Um yeah, what's coming to mind just because now I'm thinking about romances is, is the end of the before trilogy. Yeah, um, and uh, it could be a quadrilogy. Don't say it it's could, over yet. Oh, don't say don't, it's over yet. I'm not saying. I'm not hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Give it another decade. Ethan, yeah. Ethan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the the Hawkesons, right? Yep. Yeah. I think that was coined by Tasha Robinson. Is that right? I'm proud to credit words too. Yeah, yeah. I thought that I don't was, even know where I'm taking it from. I thought it was my original idea, and then I heard someone say that that was hers, and I was like, Gotta "Yeah." Trace the I either stole it or we just had the same idea because we're great. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there, there's something kind of heartbreaking but optimistic about that ending, um, and you knowing just how hard love is, but you know, and that they made it this far. Yeah, and you know they're gonna keep working at it yep um and here you know that they this couple would keep working at it had this tragedy not happened yeah it, it's it's heartbreaking um i liked it and then what do you think about the alliteration of kind of that a star is born right traces across the screen after she dumps her the trash and her mm. gloves into the the trash and she's walking out of the sally yeah right and her what she's walking toward as she's a star who's being born walking out of this alley yeah. is this name that becomes yeah. famous called Alley. What do you think about that alliteration choice? Uh, I thought it was lovely. Okay. Uh, it, I was it didn't it, really right? do anything negative oh, really? for me oh, and it didn't okay. do anything positive. They're just like, okay, I was just like, okay, here we go. Okay. I, I think that I'm really biased in that I just mm. hate that her name is an Esther. Like I hate mm. that her yeah. name should be Esther. Like she can go by yeah. Alley, but her name needs to be Esther. Ah. <laughs> yeah uh just sounds like they just changed it just to change it yeah right? yeah yeah and I, you know i'm sure it's got a good reason it's just i just watched all of them and it's not as common of a name now you I change guess. the names on me <laughs> i don't i don't know any esters today 
I do. I do think you? they're friends with my grandma. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you are a young Esther, we're not talking ill about you. We're just saying mm-hmm. we don't know any. Pro Esther podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, as we've talked about it, I guess I feel more confident in the four, but I'm still interested in watching it again. You feel more confident in the four, or you feel more confident that it'll come up from four? I think I may be more confident in the four. Okay. Mm. But um, one that so I was you're still you're coming back to my level. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you're you're pretty steady there. Yeah, I I don't think I don't, I can't see it being an otherworldly work of art where it gets above four, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a film that we'll get to, Hold the Dark, where Ooh. I have a reason why it works for me at a four and a half level, and it's not mm-hmm. a five. But this, for me, works at that level where it's not a three and a half. It's better than a purr before mm. dawn. But mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything with artistic flourishes that make me fall in love to the point that it's a four and a half. Yeah. But I fell in love with it as a work of art, so that's why I gave it the heart. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one that I would happily watch again. Um, I would happily be with these characters again, despite how heartbreaking it is in the end. Um, I would... Uh, take great joy in listening to these songs again um, sung with the uh, realism that they are um, so watch it again at some point Coops is good Coops Gaga's good yep Chappelle's good yeah Dice is good just that record label exact questionable uh, and then Griffin's good right who's Griffin? Eddie Griffin oh yeah Forms a ceremony yeah, it's a nice surprise. I've, I've got a buddy. He could do it today. Yeah, it was great. All right, uh, let's get to A Prayer Before Dawn then. Or, sorry, right. not A Prayer Before Dawn. Hold the Dark. Do you hold the dark? Hold the dark. Hold the dark. Cheers. I came to help if I can, to explain this if I can. It's not the first time people died out there. Hillside is scattered with pieces of bodies. That's what you get when you talk to the villagers. People are dying. That's real enough. Help! Leave us to the devils. All right, Michael. Well, we are back from a really short break. Uh, of about, you know, a week's worth of uh, 24 hours. So no 7 time times at all. 24, whatever that is. To talk about the film we just recently watched uh, a couple weeks ago now, uh, Hold the Dark. Really fresh in our memories. Um, which I devoutly loved. And you, not so much. Not so much. Not so um, much at all. Why don't you tell me what you remember about your experience of not liking it? Yeah, so this is the third movie of his that I have seen, Jeremy Sonier. Does uh, he have more than three? His very first one was called Murder Party. Oh, yes. Okay. I think it's on Netflix. I, I thought that, that Netflix. was, um, um, for some reason, I thought that was like a kind of a vignette thing with like three different directors. Ah, uh, that could be. Yeah, That's I, just I like the one other title yeah. I, I associate with I've him. been living in like Letterboxd stuff, so mm. it's all blurring together. So I don't, I I don't feel quotable on any of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Blue Ruin was the first one I saw. Absolutely loved it. Um, Green Room, I also saw. Liked that a little bit less. And I, I think I liked Hold the Dark um, a bit less than that. 
so these have I been would have kind to of agree based on your scores. Yeah, these have been um, kind of uh, sequential steps down. Um, I just had a hard time um, ever believing these characters would behave the way that they were. Um, you know, this is kind of a gear shift movie from where I thought it was going to go narratively, um, which we will talk on the next episode uh, mm. about as well. What are you thinking of? I'm thinking of your experience oh, with Oh, Cabin Royale. in the Woods? Oh, got it, that too. I um, thought you were talking about Cabin in the Woods, which will I, I think that you were a lot nicely. more positive about that than you yes, were about definitely. the Battle for the El Royale, or at the El Royale, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm just thinking of Battle Royale at this point. Can we just watch a bunch of school kids murder people now? <laughs> Still haven't seen that one. Gotta catch up with that at some point. Have you ever seen The Hunger Games? I have. Awfully yeah. similar, I, I hear. Oh, yeah. It's, it's certainly it is stolen that. from it. Yeah. 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 Hold the dark. Um, there was some atmosphere that I really liked about it, but um, there were some, there were, uh, there were character behaviors that like, I just, I, I couldn't buy. Um, who is our uh, late actor's name? Um, not Alexander Jeffrey Skarsgård. Wright? Jeffrey Wright. Yes. Um, much of what he did, I just had trouble kind of, um, I had trouble buying into, um, I, I was not particularly fond of Riley Keough's performance here as well. Um, the narrative just never really gripped me quite like I wanted so, it to. um, let's just slow down and bear in, because, yeah. um, you know, we don't remember this that well, so maybe. Yes, yeah, you can right hear the vagueness in my voice. <laughs> um, when you, when you say riley keogh's performance you did not like um mm. do you mean that you did not like her performance which is the objective of her performance mm. and her role as a character within that world is who she is mm. or do you mean that her performance was bad and the narrative character that she was given to perform i think the the performance was weak okay um why um T to me, I think it is difficult for a character who potentially, you know, who we assume early on at least to be um, suffering, to be grieving perhaps, um, to project sort of a vacancy or emptiness that that might involve. Um, and to me here, too much of what I saw was just an actress doing nothing rather than a character feeling empty. Um, okay, I so I would like counter I that turn. with the spoilers. Mm. That she's the one mm. who killed her child. So what do you mm. mean? How should she be behaving? She's a psychopath. I can still only tell you that I saw the actress. I mean... Okay. Yeah. I mean, mm. I, so I, I think that mm. this has happened a few times, and I can't remember what films they've been or what performers, but I've seen the actor presenting as an actor within the narrative as a choice of storytelling to show us that that person is faking who they are being within mm. the narrative yeah. and you haven't responded to those i think consistently mm. do you yeah. think this might be another case where um maybe your expectations of what you want from a performer are are getting in the way of um maybe the narrative strategy that sonia wanted to uh um get out of these characters or this specific character I, th Perhaps. I do think that there's criticism to be had at Skarsgård. I, I don't subscribe to it, but I think that it's a lot easier to criticize his performance than Kiao's. Because what, mm. what her character is, just to break it down, is she's uh, a widow, ostensibly, mm. who's left alone in a city in Alaska 
that just got water and power last year. Yeah. She's basically all alone because everyone else has a family and no one commingles. Yeah. I don't think I saw internet use. I don't think so. Not much in I, terms of technology. I did not get the impression she was going to town. Not much. Um, so so she's in complete isolation with the child. Yeah. Um, and kind of the first thing that you pick up on is perhaps she has um, postpartum depression. Yeah. Um, and then you you slowly kind of build through her that you know she calls for help. She acts like her son was was eaten by this wolf. Like yeah. it, this is a um, classical narrative myth uh, of kind of isolation mm-hmm. where you know the the mother kills the young this is yeah. what wolves do yeah which we see early on literally yeah. uh right after uh jeffrey wright arrives and goes to track yeah he sees uh, the wolves eating their pups yes. yeah yeah um yeah great uh great shots of the animals um and the uh, the environment itself. So didn't you, have any you, you did enjoy the visuals, and that's Definitely. perhaps why yeah. you gave it even a two and a half. Definitely. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. In terms of kind of its sense of place and um, the cinematography of those locations, those were great. Those were um, beautiful, beautiful shots. Yeah. So yeah, this is kind of where mm-hmm. I just start splattering my ideas <laughs> of, of what's mm-hmm. it play. To me, it was mm-hmm. just like looking at a bunch of myths. Mm-hmm. Um, what what happens when someone's told they're a part of society but really isn't? Hmm. How do, how do you police them? How do you govern them? How do you treat them? Um, what, what do you do when you have a village of killers and and you don't allow them to be part of you? Right? They're the same, hmm. but they're not. You know. Yeah. I, I would argue that the wolves there are just as much the same as the dogs that we have in our homes, hmm. as those people in that isolated town in Alaska are to the cop the the policing force and the people that are living in that town that gave them the electricity like you say they're the same and genetically they're similar but the lives they lead are markedly different yeah and the harshness is that they experience and what that does to them Mm. um exposure i I, was something i thought Mm. about a lot like their exposure to the true nature of things their isolation to things their the fact that they have to do the killing they, they have to do yeah. makes them markedly different. Yeah. And I saw it kind of as an expression of that, that it's kind of a deep idea in philosophy of, um, you know, are any two people the same, uh, you know, that two people that are totally different living across the hall from each other in the same building are much more the same than someone that's living in Hawaii in a city and someone that's living in an isolated town in Alaska. Like, mm. just, you know, they're almost not the same species based on their habits. Yeah. You know, and, and what they're going through. And I thought that this was a really beautiful portrait of, of what it's like to try to go look at that story and, and tell that story. And I thought that Jeffrey mm. Wright was kind of our silent um, character leading us through that and, and mm. showing us the truth of it, but not saying anything about it, mm. which yeah. I thought was the right way to... Um, handle it or express it or um, engage with it rather yeah I think those are all fascinating ideas and sometimes this will happen with a, a movie where I feel like themes are apparent on the page but personally the filmmaking isn't really um, 
expressing those themes to me in a way that I, I, I want it to. Um, you know, if I if I try to think about some some more specifics, although it has been a while, about like the the scenes that I struggled with, thinking kind of early on when Riley Keough first puts on the uh, wolf mask mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Wright's on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, she's and naked. She, she just got him. out of the shower. Yeah. Um, it just didn't work for me. Um, I had trouble, his, his kind of reactions to what was going on didn't seem appropriate in light of the strangeness of it. And yet the scene to me felt shot very literally rather with much ambiguity about whether or not this, this feels, um, dreamlike in any way. There was, it was too literal, um, in his reaction to, um, kind of calm given the strangeness of it. I don't know why that, that, that that didn't quite work for me. I had trouble so I, um, imagining this happening for I, real. I was equally troubled, but not in the same way. I, I was mm. like, I, I I think that what it comes down to most is I put myself in the movie as the Jeffrey Wright character, mm. and you didn't, maybe. Correct. Um, yeah. So That's I, interesting. I, I yeah. was thinking like, okay, I'm Jeffrey Wright. I'm on this couch. I'm here to help That's this grief-stricken yeah. woman. She's behaving weirdly. Mm. She just lost her son. Mm. I'm the first human man she's come in contact with in her home, probably, in God knows how long. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything. Because what she's Mm. doing isn't wrong. It's not right. It's just the only thing to do is to do nothing. Mm. And I think that that's kind of how we are behaving. If if you are to break down, Mm. like, uh, the, the nation of the United States mm. or of Canada and how you are doing things for these isolated communities in, you know, the tundra. What are you doing? Mm. You're not stopping them. Yeah. You're not telling them no. You're not really mm. helping them either. And and I think that I just kept seeing that juxtaposition of big ideas and little ideas, small mm. characters and big characters in mm. play, the military and, and its ideas within these characters um in this contrast the fact that all the townspeople from the town with the power and the water and everything that gave them power and water Mm -hmm. and view that as you know the uh their good interaction with them you know Mm -hmm. they view that as making them holy and helping them um instead of like visiting them yeah or you know um just doing more to make it a community yeah they just keep talking they Mm. they keep talking during their scenes Mm. you never see them not talk and whenever you go to that isolated village they barely talk and the only Mm. time that there's real noise from those people is Mm. when they're shooting which Mm. i thought was a really interesting contrast yeah the the loudest skarsgård ever gets is when he's pulling the trigger yeah the loudest his friend ever gets is when he's pulling that trigger or shouting while he's pulling that trigger i thought that was a very interesting um, you know, the lovely word juxtaposition contrast, mm. whatever. Gotta you use know. it sometimes. You, it's, it's, it, it exists just for like, a reason. It's, it's black. This movie is, you know, the yin yang. It's black and white to me. Like mm. it's the intermingling of them, and it's showing the chaos and the order and the order and the chaos. And yeah. and I just got a lot out of that. Mm. It, I it felt a lot like it comes at night. Mm. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Um, I think in addition to having trouble buying into the character behaviors i mean i think the the um the 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 mechanics of the plot itself i think probably 
um, prohibited me a bit from actually kind of engaging with those themes. Um, because to me, it, it did feel like a very um, deliberate shift in um, focus to lead us to kind of, you know, expect this to be something about Jeffrey Wright on the hunt for this wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to, you know, suddenly realize that that's not at all where we're going. Um, I think for me, the movie was maybe trying to have it both ways. It was trying to um, structure itself such that it plays out sort of like a suspense narrative asking me to wonder what's going to happen next and um i think that sort of for me competed with any opportunity it had to encourage me with these ideas that frankly like i i just never would have thought about some of these which is why like it's fun to talk about but like i I didn't get any of it from the movie itself yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um i i think that it did attempt to have that suspense narrative i I think you're Mm -hmm. right but uh, I, I think what I would always come back to is the the title, "Hold the Dark." Mm. Mm. Can you hold the light? Mm. I mean, look at the light bulb and try to, you know, like you can't hold the dark. Um, and and I think that's what this illustrates is the darkness, um, and and how you can't you can't understand its manifestations. Like we were talking about mm. Riley Kiao, and she was she was basically an embodiment of darkness in that scene where she's naked Mm. and she lays with the man who is looking for the killer of her son who is her Mm. and he's basically right above the dead body Mm. yeah i i i mean to me that's that's the darkness and and yeah um you know his non-reaction to it is kind of epitomizes those ideas going backwards in in history Mm. to me like you you can't hold it you can't you can't really understand how hitler is hitler we can talk about it and and philosophers can talk about it but you can't really think to yourself like yeah i'm gonna kill millions of people like you you can't do you can't think like yeah i'm chairman mao i i you can't rationalize how to do these unspeakable things yeah and i think that this movie kind of epitomizes that and that's Mm. just the best case i can make for it yeah yeah, I do think it's probably I, I do think it's easily the most ambitious of the the, the three big films he's done so far. Um, I mean, I think as much as I loved Blue Ruin, I think it's like it's it's its focus is it's very personal and and um, quite centered on you know one particular man's um, uh, striving for revenge. It's essentially, yes. it's essentially a revenge narrative. Um, Green Room um, w- was similarly. Um, scaled down i think i think yeah it's very much a, a room yes and exactly. nazis outside a single door. location kind of movie yeah i, I mean um, it does it, you know expand as we get to our patrick stewart yeah and the dog yeah um so you know thinking of, of hold the dark as one that does reach more for um uh uh thematic concerns um i'm not i don't know that it, it completely pulled it off for me but it does make me kind of interested to see um how he will um, progress um just because it does seem like a um a step on to kind of a bigger kind of yeah film i i think that this is going to be something that in two films we're really glad he got to make um yeah and people like you will probably say you're glad that he got it out of the system 
Which I think perhaps. is fair if you don't like a movie. I think it's fair to say that. It's mm. just for me, I, I'm glad that he made it. I, I think that mm. I responded least to Blue Ruin, most to Green ah. Room. <laughs> okay. And that yeah. this is kind of uh, just a step beneath Green Room for me. Yeah. But it's just so different. You know, you're talking about top tier up and coming actors in mm. Green Room with yep. a very yeah. simple narrative where they're allowed to go crazy and really show their chops. You know, Imogen yeah. Poots hasn't had as good of a role since, just plain and simple. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe the funnest that Anton Yelchin got to be before he died. Yeah. Uh, depending on how you responded to Thoroughbreds and his performance in there. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that for what the narrative is, he did get the right actors. But, mm. I, I yeah. you know, it, everybody has their own opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some directors you see kind of do something, you know, similar movie to movie and you're kind of ready for him to change it up. I mean, what he does do well in all these movies is violence like in 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 all three of these movies i I just think he can stage people firing weapons being injured um in a visceral way that like a lot of directors can't do um i'll tell you when i just watched the 22nd of july mm, the whole opening sequence i was like this is not that good go get that somnia guy yeah (laughs) (laughs) um what what did you think about opening with uh scars guard or first scars guard scene uh in uh like the middle east yeah that's our first scene with him um in isolation i thought it was a great scene i agree i thought that it was one of my favorite moments in cinema yeah like i'm still debating like (laughs) where i put that on my top scenes of the year i think it's in there yeah i mean i don't know maybe this is helpful for me because these are like many ideas that like just didn't come to mind so this this absolutely could just enrich a second viewing um uh especially because in isolation many of these scenes look so good and like are staged so well um and are are gripping um on their own um Mm -hmm. and you know i think maybe having uh that kind of framework would bring some cohesiveness to it for me um, yeah i mean just like off the top of your head what do you think his statement is about having this man whose son was just killed by his mother that's living in isolation that by all by all interpretations you would assume he left before they ever got power or water yeah and he's the one fighting our war yeah over Mm. there and he's the most effective killer that's running that gun that's keeping our men alive yeah so he's helping Mm. the you know our federal system yeah Um, yeah but but yet he's on this outskirts of society being treated this way yeah does that Mm. kind of work in any way for you to like um yeah like does that feel like there's something deeper there that Sonya is trying to communicate because to me it does um to me it was unclear at the time i thought i watched it to be honest um oh yeah i I can't i I can't criticize it i didn't get it immediately but it was something that i kept thinking about as i was seeing the progression yeah yeah um and then unlike you i thought the wolf mask was dope you thought it was (laughs) that it was dope yeah. The mask itself was pretty cool. Oh, I thought that. you said it was stupid. No, it was just when they put it on. Like I, I just had trouble kind of just believing these situations. Um, oh, okay. The mask itself was cool. Okay. Could have been, uh, something about how that was maybe just staged. I, I, I didn't believe that these characters would actually do this. Um, yeah. I, I think maybe you don't respond as well to the psychologically disturbed characters as I do. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, I like my characters disturbed and psychologically broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, 
I will confess, like for for much of this movie, I, I I was just asking myself, like I don't I don't get the point of this. So this is helpful. This is okay. fascinating to get these perspectives. Um, and you know the the little bit of reading I did about you know some other people's interpretations, they were just all over the map. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was the turnkey of a great right. I, I like I do think that's. Um, that's something special that implies that it's very it's it's quite rich if it is open to that many sort of um, readings. Um, I just struggled to get something on, on my first go round, um, but but there were moments that were really strong that I think were as strong as anything um, we saw in Green Room or Blue Ruin, specifically um, the violence scenes. Yeah, or you know just. Um, just stepping onto that larger canvas. I mean, it is, it's isolated being in this particular town, but those landscapes are something that we don't get in Greek room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By any means. Um, I think you yeah. do get some beautiful landscapes on the roadside in blue ruin. Is as that soon correct? as I said that, I kind of took that back. Like I, we do kind of open up in the, the Northwest. Yeah. So yeah. I take that back a little bit. I, but, I mean, it, um, it's not comparable. I'm, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to think like of the scale he's shooting on. He, he does get some similar landscape shots. They don't look nearly as good though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's plain and simple. The the lenses and camera he's using are just yeah, fantastic. it looks great. And like, in just in terms of establishing a sense of place, that was not hard at all to no. just to be in that particular region. Yeah, you believe that for sure. Um, did Did you at all pick up on the fact that Jeffrey Wright is this writer who lost his voice, and that's like our mm. narrative character who's kind of bringing us through this? No, what are you thinking? I I mean the the film doesn't really have a narrative voice bringing it through it kind of loses mm. uh its narrative threads as soon as we find the dead body mm. of the boy yeah um and and he audibly cannot get attention while the police are there that yeah. he found the dead boy um and from then on he kind of has to play this silent character who begins to use a gun to speak yeah. And I thought that that was very interesting because that's what all these other people in this town had to do to speak with yeah. authority is use guns or yeah. to become authority. And and I thought that was just a really uh, intangibly neat characteristic that I think there is more to to meditate on. Hmm. Yeah. Did you uh, like the ending? Enjoy the ending? No, I think it should have ended about, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that I said it should have ended five to seven minutes earlier. Mm. Um, so it's not that I didn't like it. It's once again, I think I've, I think I nailed down a better place to end. So yeah, you would have led them up to the cave, right? Uh, or would you, you would have cut that out entirely. No, I, I'd have the cave. I would have him. Uh, yeah, perhaps I'm, I'm trying to remember if anything happens before the hospital room. Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's where we struggle with our memories now. So I, I, I think that you end before the hospital room. I don't think that catharsis was worthwhile. Mm. Um, yep. Maybe in repeated viewings, as time passes, it will be, and I'm wrong. But uh, first yep. go around, I felt like it had a stronger ending in the wilderness. Mm. I'll yeah. just say that. I don't remember exactly where, but I remember it was mm. in the wilderness. I, and I think it was Jeffrey Wright like wandering out of the cave with that arrow wound. Mm. Uh, yeah. Where that was like, that was who I wanted to carry on. Yeah, yeah. If its sense of place is one of its strengths, it makes sense to maybe kind of leave it. Yeah, and, and him reemerging from the mouth of the cave, I thought was a, yeah. is a just a very strong mythological uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I would love to know where they they shot some of this. I haven't done. I, I haven't read about I that at all. Saskatchewan. Is that right? I think yeah. so. Yeah. I, I have to look again, but um, yeah, I read it all and then I out of yeah. my brain. Yeah, yeah, you believe how hostile that the, that environment is for sure. I mean, yeah, when you open up the top floor and just start a killing floor, you sure uh-huh. believe that it's a dangerous area. It's a great scene. And the, the wolf killing the yeah, it's just it's brutal. Yeah, it's it's gonna be in my top thirty by the end of the year. I have no yeah, doubt about see that. I don't know where though, because yeah. now now that we're getting this fall fair, and first man just shot up. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I still don't know if it's where it should be. And where is it right, right now? I think it's right behind Unsane, right above Red Sparrow. So it's, a, it's in top five, right? Uh, no, because Mosaic mm. and uh, Maniac and Hostiles. Ah, okay, yeah, it's there. crowded. But uh, I need to rewatch Hereditary because Hereditary mm. is my top feature film, yeah. and I saw you just rewatched it, locked mm. it as a five again. Oh yeah, and I. I, that's very interesting because when mm. we get to first man next week um i responded a lot stronger to first man than you oh interesting than, yeah, yeah because yeah. well yeah we haven't even talked about it's, it it's a five i love you know. it <laughs> part of that is sometimes having just watched hereditary a second time and knowing that i just liked it even more on a second viewing just leads me to sometimes want to make sure on a second viewing that a that a movie holds up and that it um mm. is subject to sort of you know new new feelings and new emotions the second time around so So do we agree now that it's definitely the best directorial debut this year can we be yeah i don't think so absolutely yeah it's one of my favorite movies of the year yeah yeah um and then minding the gap is probably second for your directorial debuts or would you put um thoroughbreds would be up there too thoroughbreds is up there for you what is that uh Corey finley taylor Corey finley yeah i think that's right okay um and then yeah and then probably minding the gap um what else do you have on your list of debuts? Oh, God. At the bottom, I have Half Magic. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't even um, know what that is. I think I have A Star is Born, um, probably oh, yeah. third. Yeah. Uh, let's check. It's easy to forget that. Do a little bit of a breakdown on the list. know lists. him. I was yeah. looking at your list, so I couldn't tangent. find your 2018 ratings anymore. Uh, oh, I think I marked it as private temporarily while I was sorting things out, but I just yeah, never well, undid it. Right when I started looking last night, <laughs> so I could see where we're stacked. So that we it's, maybe it was it was just because I hadn't put any thought into it, so I'm like, there's no point in sharing this when like it's not there's there's no thought behind it. Yeah. So, so I have mm-hmm. uh yeah I've got Hereditary, Thoroughbreds, Star is Born, Eighth Grade, Mining the Gap, Den of Thieves, Sorry to Bother You, Unfriended ah. Dark Web, Tag, and then mm-hmm. your favorite film keeps <laughs> you alive. I defended it. It's still nowhere near one of my favorite films. Hey, but. you gave it uh what half a star. Better. Or wait, you gave it three and a half? Three. And a half. So you gave it yeah. a star and a half better than uh, El Royale. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. So sometimes when I rate things, though, I think about, like, if you think about it on a scale from one, one to a hundred, three and a half, it's a C. Like, it's average. In a way, like, that's... Yeah, that's, but you're uh, saying El Royale's a 40. Yeah, I didn't like El Royale very yeah. much, but we'll get there. Oh, my accoutrement. Tangent, but uh, hold the dark. Um, fun tangent. Of course, tangents are great. So you will revisit it. That is interesting. Hold the dark. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, lots to see. Um, I don't I, mean now. I mean yeah. you will. 
it's amongst things that you'd like to revisit in a couple it years. is one that i feel like i missed something because lots of people seem to have gotten more out of it than i did you know so anytime that happens you're kind of like i think i i need to to give it another go but yeah may, maybe listen to me talk about it on the podcast watch yeah. it again yeah exactly <laughs> uh Let's just get to our list for our recording this week, which we wrote last week when we started recording. And we are back to Venom. We will eat both your arms and then both of your legs, and then we will eat your face right off your head. You will be this armless, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd in the wind. What the hell are you? We are Venom. Oh, I have a parasite. Yeah. Name is Chan. Venom. Yes. A film that you and I are <laughs> simpatico. Can we get a high five on the audio? Woo! Woo! This is a good movie. Cheers. <laughs> the CG in this movie is fucking great, man. I haven't seen as good mm -hmm. CG all year since probably Avengers. And Avengers mm -hmm. outside of IMAX 3D? No. Mm -hmm. This in 3D is the best thing since IMAX 3D Avengers in terms fan. of CG. Like, it just, yeah. it's great. What did you think of, of those eye effects? And the I mask? thought it looked great. Um, I did not see it in 3D, so yeah. we have that difference there. But um, the look of this film was, like, by no means a problem for me. I thought it looked fine. I thought it looked yeah. not just fine. Like, I thought uh, uh, all the detail was great. I thought it looked great. Yeah, I thought the lensing um, was, was just fantastic the yeah, whole time. No Clear complaints. and crisp. I mean, um, the only thing that, that sucks is the narrative pacing and the opening yeah. I mean outside the mm -hmm. opening and the narrative pacing it's fine and I think that you know this is just what happens when you have an epilogue in a film or I mean a prologue sorry when when you're beginning mm. a series this just always happens mm. you know? yeah I mean there were things for me that I felt like I was appreciating in a way that were not intended um, and that I was never in any way like laughing at this film I really kind of hate the phrase you know people saying like it's so bad it's good like I've never been a fan of that. To me, to me, that it just sounds too Whoa. condescending. See, I've um, heard that, but like, what was so bad? It's good in this. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I can understand certain certain behaviors of the characters just just being far fetched. Um, oh yeah, the opening right? of Tom Hardy was bad. Yeah, but to but me, but once once that's established, like I feel I feel like after the first fifth, hmm. I, I'm curious what you would criticize after the first fifth. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know that I would criticize it because I think it left me quite amused in a way that it didn't yeah. intend and not that I was laughing at that I'm just, I just feel like this just works for me in a different kind of way. Like, um, so you say that, but can you help? Cause I feel like they intended for me to be amused in mm. the way that I was. So can you help me understand where you're coming from? Cause I assumed mm. we were on the same wavelength Yeah, with well, our amusement. So I'm thinking about uh, a couple things, but I'm thinking about the scene, for example, where Eddie, uh, Tom Hardy's character bursts into the restaurant where Michelle Williams is with his with her new boyfriend, uh -huh. the fancy white tablecloth restaurant, and he's like devouring a live lobster and just going absolutely nuts. Yeah, and then he and, goes and, in the lobster tank. Yeah, cool exactly. Down. Yeah, this was all hilarious, and I it's was hilarious. My ass and and I but like I felt like her response to it was like even better. No, it was in no way like appropriate. Like to me, like she's not like appalled enough, and there's something amusing about that. She's like Eddie, like you need to see a doctor, and he's like 
yeah, he needs to see a doctor. <laughs> like, no shit. <laughs> that was, like, very amusing. And I'm like, I don't think that, like, I was supposed to... There's there there's no way that I was supposed to find her behavior that sort of bizarre, but I mm. but I found it amusing. Yeah, Does that makes so sense. <laughs> I, I think that we both felt the same thing. But when I watch Michelle work, mm. I think you aren't gonna have an original thought that she didn't already think of mm. about her performance. So mm. to me, it's just like whatever I'm getting, she knew that she was giving it. I agree. I don't feel like she was taking this just super seriously. Yeah. Like, I think she was having fun with this. Yeah, and, I think... And th- knowing that, like, like, don't... I don't know. Don't take this too seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... It, it's a fucking comic book, dude. Yeah. Like, it's not a real world. Like, we're in Sony's world with this one. Yeah. Um, there was that. There was the plot thread that I just kind of kept forgetting about with the Malaysian woman who got infected after the crash oh dude i kept slowly making her way like through airports did did you see the train to busan yeah yeah i kept thinking the train to busan like every time i we'd go back to those scenes yeah like i just kept thinking to myself like oh my god i forgot about her she's still puttering about is she gonna make it like all the way to san francisco (laughs) yeah like it was just (laughs) bodies yeah yeah like i feel like we'll make it Again, like, I think this was meant to be much more suspenseful and dread-inducing than it was. I Would you agree or no? I didn't get that impression. No. I thought that they was were going for a comedy that was dark. Yeah. And I feel like it did end up being dark, but, like, it's a self-aware Spawn. If you mm. ever saw the original Spawn, like, it... A long time ago. It, it rung me as, as it's self-aware, and it knows that, like, if it commits to just being dark, it's not going to be enjoyed and i think that regardless of critics this is gonna be one of the top earners worldwide Mm. it's doing a remarkable business yeah you know as much as critics and people like us are loving a star is born which is on this episode actually (laughs) 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 just to remind you because it's been a while um (laughs) this made more than twice as much on a thursday premiere yeah Yeah. It, it made more than twice as much over the weekend yeah it, it's still making twice as much like it's you know Breaking it in. It, as much as awards matter or don't matter yeah this is doing what matters it's printing money and yeah it's giving people a good time like my review was just it was a fun ride basically yeah and yeah. i think that's how you sum this down like it's just fun yeah um like i saw a lot of people laughing just kind of as i did at the line towards the end where she says hey like i'm, I'm sorry about venom on the steps like it's ridiculous like there was never any bonding between them like he didn't lose a brother or something like the emotion is is, i feel like the dialogue with what happens i feel like the dialogue that follows up to that does pay that line off where she goes on to explain like the missing power Mm. because like imagine you Mm. can jump over a building imagine you can climb a tower yeah imagine you can kill a bunch of people with just no effort yeah and then imagine not having Mm. that power anymore i do feel like you would miss it It, regardless of its cost you know you're still gonna miss it it's like a toxic relationship right yeah you're still gonna miss whatever it's giving you yeah Um, it feels good i i agree kind of in theory but it's like the tone in which she expresses it makes it to me makes it sound more as if like he he lost a a close friend or something oh i i kind of thought it was more sexual oh interesting that's hilarious 
Um, so, but again, like I see people using that as an example of like how ridiculous or how bad this is. And I'm like, I agree. It is funky, but I think it works for me in a different yeah. kind of way. See, I, I would argue that it's self-aware comedy. Mm. You think this is? A, uh, you think it, you saw the intent? Yeah, we're we're gonna talk about the right stuff next episode here in an hour or so, mm-hmm. and uh, continuously in the right stuff to my joy and absolute mm. ecstasy is constant Andy Kaufman on night television. He's Who's the comedian. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, who yeah. is continuously referenced? Uh, he's the man yeah. on the moon, played by Jim Carrey. Yep. Yep. Uh, he was just the Jim Carrey documentary. I don't remember the name of. Um, Focus. But mm. it's it's like that type of chagrin comedy. Yeah. It's leering at you and, and being cheeky and casting a sideways glance, wondering if you understand these are jokes or mm. if you're too tightly wound that you don't understand that these are jokes and you're taking this all seriously. And yeah. I think that that's maybe the miscommunication where yeah. maybe critics aren't getting on the wavelength because they're taking it way too seriously and they're yeah. maybe way too dialed into the Marvel standard exposition-based comic book formula where there's going to be this act this act and this act and this is you know it follows those acts but it's more of a procedural comedy than it is a procedural drama and i think that we're used to procedural dramas with uh Mm. love interests instead of procedural comedies with um you know the opposite of love interest the out of love yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and i I think it just rubs people the wrong way um that are out of touch with this yeah genre do you think you would have liked it any more had they just gone without our rating absolutely i would have liked right? it more if they gave us that 40 minutes of tom hardy just walking along the street talking to himself right me too like it does feel like i i do feel like i could kind of feel the seams of where all of that material got cut out mm-hmm. um and i and i did miss it um but uh, I, I do understand it wasn't that like, i did need to get out of the theater kind of around that time yeah like yeah. It, it's time was up right about when it's time was up you know like i, yeah. I was kind of yeah. getting worn out with it but like i'd like a, a extended r-rated version where they do the complete mm. uh cg overhaul for all those 40 minutes and i can watch them seamlessly pour it into a director's yeah. cut yeah and just chill on the couch so and drink some like. beer and watch it but I like do that to go fine. to the theater and yeah. sit there for what would that have been three hours yeah i i don't know it's a long time um yeah you know I've, i guess i've talked about michelle williams her in her performance being sort of amusing i actually think reza Ahmed was great and I, I thought he was pretty okay i thought he was pretty darn good like to me he was not he was not too self-serious he was not he was not campy he just i thought he played it pretty straight and like i i don't know that it was really what this movie called for necessarily like because of what else because of the other feelings this movie kind of brought for me i don't know that um it was really a great asset to the movie but it did make me feel like he's just going to have great roles ahead of him i don't know why i think he could be a great villain um Mm -hmm. it wasn't some his character wasn't written well enough for like me to really love it but i have high hopes for him Put I do too. I just don't know that it's in the villain genre. I don't think so. That's interesting. No. To mm. me, he's... I, I like, I'd like. i like to see him develop more as his Night of character. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd like to see him take more of those uh, fringe of society 
character roles. I, I want to see him mm. in a Softy Brothers movie, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that'd be cool. You know, um, I, I don't disagree. I just, I want to see him develop more in other ways first. Mm. Because I really worry that he could go the way of Oscar Isaac, where you just, you work mm. too much and you lose touch with how you act. And for me, if you go back through Oscar's like last five movies, he's just doing an impression of Oscar Isaac acting. He's yeah. not Oscar Isaac acting yeah. the way that he was when he was starting. He's not that kid that's really excited to perform from Juilliard that he was. Yeah, you know, if, if you go back and you watch um, the Jessica Chastain film that he did, um, shoot, what was that called? That's it's, it's really really good. Um, Pre or post Lewin Davis? Uh, simultaneous with Lewin Davis, the same time. I believe. Yeah, so like he did Lewin Davis, then he did that HBO series, four part series where he plays yeah. this mayor. It was Ex Machina, not that one. That. Yeah, kind of. I, I almost All feel like there. Ex Machina in that HBO um, series that he did is kind of the last time he did good work. Mm. Um, and then he did pretty good work in episode seven of Star Wars for what mm. he had to do. I think that he did good, and I think that since then he's he's just been working himself ragged to the point where he. Mm realized he's just oscar isaac doing an impression of oscar isaac not it's oscar isaac back acting. a little bit yeah yeah and i think the same could even be said for justine's roles recently mm, yeah i would agree not much of not many films of hers that i've been dying to see no. put it that way no whereas mm. when you look at like a margot robbie or, or a saoirse ronan or, or a christian bale you never mm. see them not fully committed yeah yeah and, and i think it's because they're working at a slower pace more deliberate more, yeah. more choosy yeah yeah choosy about their projects and who they work with i would think the same thing about adam driver yes um yeah so get back to it oscar isaac the good stuff <laughs> we love you anyways where's ahmed <laughs> yes yeah he didn't he didn't make me feel good or bad it was very much just yeah. a neutral thing there was something about his neutrality it's like the way in which he would just you say okay next human subject let's do it and yeah that was good i thought that, that worked good. quite well the, um, um, i believed in his indifference about yes. it like that was quite effective actually i think the interactions with tom hardy are where mm. i would point to a weakness that's fair and i i i don't know if it's maybe unfair because you i mean it's like asking someone to go up against denzel to me like mm. it's it's fucking tom hardy it's tough he's the best mask worker Mm. other than Benicio Del Toro that's working today. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, they're kind of a... There are different points in their career. Yeah. <laughs> this one I don't have... Like, Venom is like... I fucking liked it. Like, it's a cool roller coaster yeah. ride. Like, what else is there to say? It's fun. Yeah. Go see it. Spend money. Get me a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Did you stay for the after credit sequence? I did not. Oh. I did not. Because I watched it... Amusing in a double feature with oh you were short on time perhaps uh a star is born so i watched a star is born first in dolby in ah. linwood and got then it. i when i got out i had to hop in my car and drive over to woodenville you had to book it to see the venom in 3d <laughs> screening that night before awesome. my amc a list reset, uh, reset. so uh, priorities yeah yeah, I was yeah. pretty tuckered out, and I wanted to get out of there about 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, people have criticized the the post-credit sequence. I thought it was hilarious. What was uh, it? So Eddie, Tom Hardy's character, walks into a Eddie. jail. 
Yeah, and he's there to interview. You know, he's he's a journalist again. He's there to interview some infamous criminal or murderer or psychopath. That I'd probably know. Right. The character I'm not familiar with. The actor I am. It's Woody Harrelson. What? <laughs> and he, he's, got this, he's got this kind of like big red curly hair. He kind of looks like Carrot Top or something like that. So okay. I don't know what uh, character Sounds that is. Sounds kind of like a clown character. It's, it is a very clown-ish kind of performance. Something like kind it, of twisted metal PlayStation cover. Yeah, like it looks um, like it's going to lean in that campier kind of direction. I'm like, that's great. That that's looks hilarious. I'm like, that's I, perfect. I want a comic yeah. movie. Like, comic that's fine. is in some elements comedy. Yeah. That's what a comic is. He's a comedian. Agreed. You know? so. so that left me uh, quite excited. Even though everyone's like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm like, yes, it is. And yes. I love it. Yes, it is. <laughs> and by all accounts, we'll get our sequel because I think it's made back its budget. And um, yeah, you know, it, now that we're um, nearing the end of the year, you think mm. Venom might be in the top ten global earnings at the Ooh. end of the year? I don't know. I kind of wonder if the the bad word of mouth will hurt it. Um, I feel like it's only American bad word of mouth. It could be. You know, like yep. I I I see it. I mean, this is just me personally, but, like, I can't see it doing poorly in Mexico or Spain. Yeah. You know, I feel like it'd be fine there. I don't know how yeah. Italy or France would shape up. England's kind of 50-50, but I feel like Germany would like it. Yeah. I think China will probably respond well to it. I think Korea will like yeah. that it's got some, you know, some yeah. setting in it. I, I think yeah. it might be fine worldwide. We saw it last weekend. Uh, so knowing at the end of this weekend kind of how it holds up in its second weekend will be yeah. curious. Um It'll, it'll it'll make a ton, regardless of whether it's in the top ten or not. It'll and be up there. What do you think of Eminem's song, Venom? Um, I have not listened to that one as much, to be honest. There was also a Run the Jewels song. Do you know the rap group Run the Jewels? Of course. Yeah. They they uh, uh, put out a song that played over the credits. Uh, I've listened to that one more than I have the Eminem one, because I love okay. that one. Um, you like the Eminem one? I feel like it's the worst song on the Kamikaze album. I don't think it's a bad song. Oh, I just think God. it's the worst song. I didn't realize it was on the album. album. Yeah, um, it's the last song on the album. Yeah, the. Uh... Which I've actually I've ended up listening to it the most because when I mm. tap play on my headphones after the mm. album ends, it only plays the last song. Oh, got it. So yeah. <laughs> I've ended up listening to it a lot, and it's it's fine. It's just you know. I got to return. It's to not it. as good as the others because I know I've heard clips of it. I got to listen to it from start to finish. But I love the artwork for the Run the Jewels single. That is that's pretty a great. great great image right i need to Pretty yeah sweet. when when we stop recording this episode before we record the next episode you might need to play that for me it's pretty sweet oh. uh yeah any other thoughts good music too i love michelle i love tom i love the music i love our homegirl uh john ralphio saperstein's sister herself cannot <laughs> remember her name she's the jenny other, slate jenny slate yeah uh fired for throwing the f-bomb on the snl show Oh, Using what? the old fox. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. 2011, 2012. She was really? on the cast and got fired for throwing the F-bomb. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, she's the other Liz in, in publicity, if you ever watch the Kroll show. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Um, I like her quite a bit. She's great. And oh, yeah. uh, it's a bummer they killed her off, but here's hoping uh, she gets some other good roles soon. Fingers crossed. Fun stuff. We love them. Consider us amused. Everybody go see it if you want to go on a roller coaster ride yeah 
There you go. If you want to watch like a really classy, great film, A Star is Born, First Man, etc. <laughs> Different day. Different day. Uh, I, I feel like a great double feature might be um, The Battle at the El Royale with Venom. That might, might put you... a better pair than you might otherwise mind currently. Yes. Yeah. New releases wise. So should we get to a prayer before dawn? Or would Let's you like it. to take a break? Uh, I think we can get this one in. Okay. Yeah. My name is Adam. Billy. Billy. You fine? Boxer. Ah, boxing. Man, be chop more. I'm away. I want to train. I'm a boxer. I can show you. I can fight. I need to fight. First for us to qualify for national tournament. If you don't represent our prison, say now. I've got no family, no money. Just give me this one chance. I want to fight. Prepare before dawn. Joe Cole. Joe Cole as Billy? Mm-hmm. The Peaky Blinder himself. He's in Peaky Blinders? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought maybe he was a newcomer, but he's got some experience. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I won't... I won't talk about him in Peaky Blinders because I don't want to give spoilers to that unannounced. Ah, got it. But yes, he is in the show. Yeah. As uh, was Tom Hardy. That's right. I forgot about that. And Killian Murphy. Yeah. Okay. Peaky Blinders is kind and of coming back to me. our homegirl. Who? Anya Taylor-Joy is in season five, what? baby. Really? Yeah. Wow, that, that's a stacked that cast. Just, that oh, just happened yesterday. That. She just got announced to wow. be in season five. Show's doing all right. Oh, yeah. I like it. So does uh, Joe Cole have more dialogue in Peaky Blinders? I would imagine since mm. that is a more no. a talkier show. No. Speaking. Have you watched it? Watch one episode back when it first came out. Yeah, it's not that talky of a show. I mean, mm. I mean, Killian is forced to talk in work situations. Mm. But it, it's largely, it, it's a show about a business being run and the business is a mm. family. And the main people that speak are often the people that are the most trodden upon and if you're mm. a brother within the family you are not often speaking unless you're speaking mm. to your brothers and he's one of the gotcha. younger brothers so he just does not speak much got it but i mean he's great you know i, I to me he's tom hardy developing mm. you know like oh, that's that's his ceiling yeah so you liked it yeah yeah correct <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> give it the heart give it the heart yeah we, we give it the same score i just gave it the heart i don't know i took it down it. half a star brought it down to three just a little bit what? just because of kind of how it's been sitting with me since then those lenses yeah. dude that was a clear yeah. and clean looking mm-hmm. flick man it's a good looking flick um i have i think i have a slightly below average tolerance for fast cutting during scenes of action and violence um there's some very quick cuts in this movie when the violence does erupt um and i kind of quickly lost my my kind of sense of uh of what was happening i'm, I'm really sensitive okay to that in so action movies hold on mm. it's about boxing yes. where you get hit in the head and the body a lot yes <laughs> when you get hit in the head really hard mm. hit in the body really hard mm. how do you do with like knowing where you are and where the person is and where the next fist is going to land is that kind of hard it's true 
It's true, but that that's not how how I like my filmmaking. To me, that that same argument is like saying, like being served a, a meal and and it being bad and being told like it's supposed to taste bad or something like that. Like it's it's just not a goal that I'm that I that I am terribly satisfied with. Like I understand that like camera movement and editing can sort of um, express what it feels like, but it also has to be like kind of coherent enough for me to follow who's hitting who so that I so can you have like an emotional more. say that again you like Creed more uh, yeah maybe That's like not a, a bad idea. not a bad uh, example yeah okay yeah um, I, I mean I, I agree that I also like that filmmaking style but mm. to, to me the, the choreography that he did with the camera mm. I, I've never seen it mm. I've just like can you name a film that gives you those shots where you're where the camera is a third party to the fight um like step for step well i don't know that anything comes to mind but i don't know that that i liked it enough to want it in another film um, yeah but i mean like specifically the the planned fights mm-hmm. those sequences the boxing fights yes gotcha gotcha yeah yeah like those did, did you not respond well to those i should clarify i am sort of referring when I think about this problem I had with it, it is certainly more in relation to like the first half of the movie before the boxing even starts. I think the boxing was actually staged better than some of the well, the, the, the boxing brawls. is the first scene of the film. Uh, when he's still not in prison. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't start there. I'm talking about like the some of the brawls that erupt in prison. So after the rape death. Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. 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 So that um, that first like maybe the second fifth of the film. Yeah. Um, I was, it it felt longer than that to me. Um, but between the point like he starts, between the time he arrives in jail and then kind of uh actually joins the boxing team. Oh, um, that whole okay. So maybe most of that the the second and third fifth of the, of the yeah film, probably yeah. Um, where I just got a little a little disoriented and that and that distanced me from it a little bit. Um, I do think once he finally joins the boxing team, I think um. Uh, I got into it a little bit more, um, and and enjoyed some of that choreography more. Okay. Um, it's a tough watch. Not in a in a. I don't mean that as a criticism, but it is just a tough watch. Yeah. Um, for sure, extremely an extremely physical film in all senses of the word. Um, extremely I, masculine. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, I I would love to know if that's how the biography is written, or if that was a, a choice by the director. Yeah, because the last time you see women before he goes into the prison is the strip club. Yeah, and they're depicted as strippers who are, um, y- you know, they're not someone to bring you catharsis and love. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think that that as much as there's a conversation about masculinity in this film, I think there's a mm. really interesting conversation about, about femininity and and his mm. ascension back to being a participatory uh, person within the mm. world and and yeah. how um by rejecting his femininity um mm. and those characteristics of kindness and love are yeah. what drove him there mm. yeah but because um the whole time he's in he's falling in love with fame mm. or or at least having a relationship i interpreted it as oh love. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and fame is a lady boy of thailand yeah. who is part of the prison system but she seems to be a barterer somewhere on the fringe of the prison system. So she's not in, yeah. in the women's prison. She's not in the men's prison. 
she's in the middle yeah um, and and i thought that their interactions were really lovely and beautiful and i, mm. I thought that it brought a, a nice once again juxtaposition to the character and the film yeah 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 i think it i think your satisfaction of the movie sort of depends on um the extent to which you're happy with how um with how far it lets you get inside his head to me i'm i found this movie much more interested in the physical effect of being in prison and addiction um and i kept kind of getting these hints that i was going to understand more about what this felt sort of um internally than i think i ultimately got and that kind of kept getting me to want more of that um but I don't think that that's I don't know that that's really what the movie was trying to do it just kind of kept giving me the idea that we were going to get that and we didn't so um, my interpretation goes back to that masculine feminine thing where mm. because he was rejecting his femininity he wasn't being thoughtful he wasn't thinking about mm. how he's feeling and that's the only mm. way that he was able to continue doing these things to himself mm. right like have you ever met like some crazy competitors or some like really crazy guys at the, at the gym who just do things that are, are insane well i could think about some frat bros yeah yeah <laughs> right and you talk to them and um you know this isn't to demean them but it, if they were to engage in these thoughts then they couldn't mm. do what they're doing it's kind of like an mma fighter can't start thinking about the hits he's taking and still go out there and win a fight because mm. he's going to be thinking instead of fighting and reacting mm. you, a football player can't be focused on how to tackle someone or, or, or a receiver can't be focused on how to take a tackle because then they're not going to catch the ball. Mm. So I, yeah. I think it's very much like I'm not the type of person that can do that because I am. I think you mm. are too. We're too cerebral. We're, we're thinking yeah. too much about the effects of these things. And and I think that this shows yeah. how that side, you know, you would argue that it's a feminine side, psychologically perhaps, mm. the, the thoughtful side, the, the side that's thinking more about like what is the cost here can't be engaged with if you're gonna go out there and, and produce mm. produce yeah you know yeah that's interesting you yeah you thought of it more in terms of masculinity and femininity i was mm -hmm. thinking mostly about um addiction and like addiction sort of reducing him to nothing I, more I than physical impulses definitely um, a conversation that's happening within the film yeah. as well um that was that was mostly how i was sort of trying to allow myself to let go of the um the need to to want to know what he was thinking mm. and feeling was his addiction has has just brought him down to this purely physical being in need of a substance i um, like that and i think like that's cool. every time i kind of reminded myself of that i was like okay like that's like he isn't thinking because he he can't he is yeah. so so in need of this yeah i think the truth um, is somewhere between what exactly what you're saying and maybe yeah. what i just said like it's which somewhere is right there like i think yeah having here having heard w kind of what you were getting out of it like that helps put some of his interactions with um what's fame fame yeah into context because those didn't do much for me um but if i, think oh, I thought they were really terms, touching because makes, those were the I only times that. that he was expressing love and and yeah. um thoughtfulness attention caring mm. these i you're not seeing him do that at any other time yeah and and yeah. it was that a it, it was his interactions with her that eventually led him to begin to do that for himself even while he was fighting yeah where he would actually like ice himself or he would work hard or he would practice hard he would try to be a good teammate it mm. was his relationship with fame that i saw beginning mm. to bring out that part of his personality yeah 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, because it is so much about things that I think are uh, so so physical and, and visual in nature rather than kind of cerebral. I do think it's one that like particularly hurt watching on the big screen. Like I think I would have been just even further sort of dumbstruck by these um, by these acts of violence and what it what this literally felt like to be in this claustrophobic dangerous space had it been on a big screen. Hmm. Um, I, th- I I just think that would have um, it would have resonated a bit more. Um, but uh, oh, so you would have enjoyed it more on the big screen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the I, I would uh, agree. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, I mean, I, I think there are some films that that translate particularly well between formats. This one, I just think, um, when so much of what this is about is his shell, his body, seeing that in a large format would would do a lot. Yeah. I think. Um, uh, once the boxing started, I, w- I was I was pretty on board with it. Um, I thought those were staged very well and. I feel like such a cliche with every boxing movie is, you know, that it becomes a matter of life or death for the uh, protagonist. Um, winning or losing to them is like a matter of life and life or death. And for him, it's almost more like a matter of death or, or death. I was going to say death or death oh, okay. because he, on one hand, if he doesn't fight and can't come up with the money to pay these other prisoners who were threatening to give him AIDS. I believe that you're looking for the quote, I got AIDS. You want yes. it? Worst line of the movie. Like, hardest to heart, hardest to hear. Um, and then on the other hand, the doctor tells him, like, if you fight, you will die. So his options are pretty bleak. Like, I don't, I did not feel like this was terribly optimistic. Um, and to me, I think that does perhaps reinforce him as sort of a physical being. Like, he doesn't have great options to, like, rationalize no i Um, so when i said death or life i meant mm. like die by not being himself or live Mm -hmm. and perhaps die by being himself got it yeah so we're we're getting to the same thing yeah Yeah. um so i do think it's it's like it's pretty bleak for a while and it does make the the note on which it ends um quite nice yeah him looking at himself yeah yeah which i I was very moved once I, i understood what i was looking at yeah. First, I was like, okay, the, the dad's here. And, and then as the white letters scroll on the screen and, and you understand what this is, it, it was very moving. And I was mm-hmm. like, when I looked at the dad, I was like, this is a fucking badass dude. I wouldn't mind seeing him in some fucking Vikings type movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's a thug, mm. straight up. <laughs> Seriously. Did you ever see the movie uh, Starred Up? Starred Up? No. Yeah. It's another prison drama with. Uh jack o'connell and uh i want to see it already yeah it's him and ben mendelson i want this to is see totally it your more kind of you would love it i think it was like three years three to five years ago what? um i didn't see a ben mendelson movie in the last five years one. what are you talking about willis <laughs> similar film about jack o'connell um going to prison ben mendelson's there i believe Mendel- ben mendelson's his father if i remember correctly but another um, extremely physically intense. It movie. sounds really familiar. Are you sure it's called Startup? Yeah, I think so. Okay, you'd like it. Yeah, that, that movie came to a lot came to mind a lot when I was watching *A Prayer Before Dawn* in terms of prison dramas and the effect on the body. Yeah, of them. And this continues our love of A twenty four films this year. 
Yeah, one that didn't get a, a theatrical release here at all, I don't think, right? It did get one for a, super a week. Mm. Um, not here, but in mm. Washington gotcha. State. I think that it was yeah. in Vancouver, which is next to gotcha. uh, Portland. It's in the yeah. further furthest southmost part of Washington. And then I think it might have been at the Pickford up in Bellingham. Gotcha. For a brief yeah. time. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. like their Sith. Yeah, it's interesting that this didn't get um, the push that it did. Um, you kind of wonder if maybe this was a matter... Like, I think it screened at Cannes, and I think it was well-received at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, perhaps it was a matter of priorities, like, um, in terms of other films that I, A24 I can't had see this it year. I don't much. know. I, yeah. I can't see mm-hmm. it earning more if you spend more market on it. I'll yeah, I guess I'm just surprised that when I think about some of the other A24 movies that have gone direct to VOD... This is much better than some of those. Yes. Um, like by a long shot. I yeah, do not like, like hot some summer of those. nights. I think might have been that one. I have. Oh, I, I I hear terrible things. That's one that I've deliberately. It's not terrible, but it's not that's good. I shouldn't say that because I haven't seen it. But I've heard like that is yeah. another case. I there was one called yeah, Into the Forest good. that I really didn't like, or Into the Woods, one of the two. Into the Forest. Um, is that the Natalie Dormer film? Oh, the another, Forest. Another maybe. funny case. The uh, this one's with Ellen Page, I think. Oh yeah, I'm not interested. Yeah. I do not enjoy her as a performer since Inception. Yeah. Whatever yeah. Nolan got out of her, I think, is the last time that yeah. someone will get something out of her. Mm. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking that it it seems like one that was... That was that deserved more than the release that it got on VOD. I, I agree. But I, perhaps I just the art house circuit. Like yeah. it's not an eighth grade by any means. No. Um, but I do think this could have done the art house circuit. I think it could have been released at SIF and Northwest Home Forum. I think yeah. I think there are you know venues for a film like this. I would agree. Um, but God, we watched it anyways. Yeah. I think I talked myself back into the three and a half. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was I right in my instant classic? <laughs> Is that what you said? Yeah. Ooh, I, I said we had cool. to watch it because it's an instant yeah. classic. Before like we ever it. watched it, <laughs> I like it. Strong. Um, yeah, it's a prayer before dawn. Um, it's, I think it's beautiful, and everyone should watch it. Um, and if you like fighting or choreography, you should definitely watch it because what the what the camera does choreographically, or or specifically the cinematographer, because I assume the director mm. is not capable of standing in there. Yeah. Whoever he got to. Whoever is holding the camera. To shoot yeah. this thing, it must be built. Yeah. Because they are a third party to every single punch and every single blow that's landed. Yeah. And the camera can't be... It, it simply is within range of a foot constantly of whatever fist is landing and whoever's face it's connecting to. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a beautiful to look at film, I think. Yeah. Worth checking out. No doubt. And now we close with Mania. I'm a maniac. Maniac. Do you know where you are right now? I'm in a drug trial. What do you think is wrong with you? I'm sick. But I don't matter. What would you say this trial is showing you about yourself? Is this therapy now? It's not therapy. It's science. Once you begin to appreciate the structure of the mind, there's no reason to believe that anything about us can't be changed. Pain can be destroyed. The mind can be solved. We are in a land of elves, Michael. 
This is Maniac we are referring to. And Julia Garner is an elf who pisses diamonds. Who you particularly love. I do. I do. Not necessarily this. I think she's fine here. But mm. in Ozark, she's just mm. so damn good. I'm v- yeah. That's where you Between her, Grace Van Patten, and uh, I think her name is Kaylee Spaney, who we'll talk about next week ah, or yep. later today. Uh, mm-hmm. The future is bright with young female talent and startlingly empty of young male mm. talent. Yeah, the, you know, I, I know you're not into like the NFL, but w- watching young actresses this year mm. has me kind of thinking like maybe in two years there's just going to be this plethora of young male talent again mm. I, I feel like maybe last year we got a bunch with um kind of the the final proof that adam driver's great yeah i think taron edgerton was was kind of established last year i think Ansel mm. elgort was established last year i think that yep. um uh, Timothy Chalamet was established last year. Yeah. I think Lucas Hedges was established last year. So I think that maybe yeah. because last year was such a, a strong draft for male talent, that this year the, the other way, the female talent's kind of clearly separating itself, yeah. saying like we're maybe better than those guys. And it seems very likely. I'm very excited for that. And I think maybe Make a Monroe you could almost throw in there. I don't oh, yeah. know for sure yet, but I'm. I'm interested. I want to see a few more roles from her. Micah Monroe and ATJ, kind of the, I think of them as the new Scream Queens, right? I think I, I associate them with horror movies. I, I mean, but... maybe, but I think ATJ is like <laughs> young Scarjo. Like, you mm. already know that she's got a 20 year career. Whereas yep. with Micah or Make, I don't know the correct pronunciation, yeah. uh, I'm less certain than mm. you. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know that I would uh, make any big bets on it, but I've liked her work so far, for sure. Some of it I'm kind of worried about, but, mm. you know, she's definitely... I, I think that if Bella Thorne's going to continue to get roles, then she's definitely going to be What's she fine. done? I know that name, but I'm uh, blanking on her face. She was, like, an Assassination Nation in a supporting role. She's got mm. another movie coming out. She was in Sunset Song, which is an yes. adaption of yeah. a Japan uh, film, Japanese film, rather. Mm-hmm. Um she was in i think the babysitter with samara weaving hmm. um okay got she's, she's got a couple you know she's like fine for a supporting role that's campy mm-hmm. but like outside campy she's a no-go <laughs> that's tough it's yeah. limit it's limited it's mm. it's kind of like the uh I, i'd call her a nickelodeon actress Ooh, that's not good well i Can guess so a nickelodeon far. was a cinema so hey yeah <laughs> true so, Maniac. Lots of promising young female talent in Maniac, but mm-hmm. we are focused on the elf episode, I believe. Correct. That is where we left off. With the half-elf, Emma Stone. Correct. Um, and the hawk, Jonah Hill. That's correct. Uh, it's coming back slightly. I'm yeah. remembering bits It is bits. tough to, 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 in hindsight, since it's been a little while and I watched them back-to-back to kind of dissect episode uh by episode you know i'm kind of thinking about it as a whole now having finished it as well um, yeah that's where i was at when we were trying to parse things down and, and to difficult. ignore yeah. the end of the series while we were talking last week was very difficult yeah yeah that is tough um did you enjoy the back half of this uh miniseries as much as the first half hmm. start there so we're starting with the back half 
No, I don't think so. But I enjoyed the breath that we found in the world. Mm. Um, but, y you know, it, it is interesting to consider, like, how much joy are you getting from the possibility of those other elevator floors at the end? Mm. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I got quite a bit at the prospect. Like, uh, you're smiling right now. And and you so see, am I. I'm thinking of the guy walking off with a burned face from uh -huh. one of the floors. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. The he work, certainly piques your curiosity. The work you guys are doing on that floor is just important. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. You keep keep working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to try to go episode by episode, or is it easier in having had some distance from it to talk about the back half and kind of the whole thing as well. i think we can make an effort to go episode by episode and then we'll just break it we'll just yeah. you know fail but not let's try. do that when necessary yeah. let's try that way we have a starting line yeah yeah uh i think you had mentioned last time that this was an episode that most people were disappointed by or were mm -hmm. less enthused about um, I don't know that I particularly felt that way. I thought it was in keeping. I mean, I understand that it is the biggest, perhaps, um, uh, it's just the biggest leap, I suppose, stylistically, well, right? I, I mean, and psychologically, it is where in the most melodrama would have to happen if you were to truly uh, attain catharsis. Yeah. For your bereavement. Yeah. Um, I personally did not uh, respond negatively to it like many people this, did this i thought perhaps pill, i correct? would as you as you alluded to that say that again this is the sea pill correct this is the start of the sea pill yeah yeah, yeah. so yes. this is catharsis yes confrontation right yeah but well, catharsis whichever one you want to call it yeah, yeah. um the, the end goal is to segue out of your bereavement and become a, a person that is capable of moving on but mm -hmm. still maintaining your identity yeah um kind of trying to remember like the beginning middle and end of it i remember you know sort of the i, I think the overall it, feel it basically starts with julia garner mm -hmm. um asking her to take her to the pond or or they, they've already come to it's terms a journey yeah in the agreement and then she begins negotiating and asks her to piss more diamonds yeah and then um kind of the middle is her abandonment of julia garner after yes. she gets the yeah. diamonds and then the mm -hmm. end is her at the lake doing something to save julia garner and like forgiving her while jonah hill's warning her but that's like at the end of jonah's episode so it's kind yeah, of like so both episodes jonah arrives as a bird as sally field's character arrives to take emstone's character away yes, and says don't do which it which is the computer trying to get her permanently like she right. got the other people right right that's right i don't remember the correct terminology unfortunately so forgive me yeah, dear listener okay acceptable i think we've i i don't accept somewhat it, but they uh <laughs> summarized the episode yeah um yeah i mean i guess i would be interested in seeing what particularly people were were criticizing about the episode um but to i me, imagine felt, special uh, effects world building yeah to me that to me that wasn't particularly um problematic i had some of that i might have had more of a problem with in other episodes than this one i actually kind of liked this as a great departure stylistically from what we had seen in other episodes um and um emotionally was involved at the prospect of um Emma Stone's character being lured away by the computer. I mean, I, I think I went with this episode pretty easily. Yeah, um, and I don't I, know that I had any problems with this one. I think that its limitation and timescale is what allows mm. it to be so effective. 
I think that if it did have that normal um, 48 to 58 minute episode length, yeah, it maybe would have overstayed its welcome quite a bit. Yeah, but because of its brevity, it, it was very, very refreshing. It was a palate cleanser by all accounts. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, I think that's what's great about miniseries is that you have the time to explore very different sorts of environments and places and um, all you know all those things. That's exactly what this episode takes advantage of. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Go. On. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what is Jonah's fantasy world? Is that the mafioso world with? Yes. Um, is it Garrett Headland? Who is his brother? Who's his brother? I cannot remember his brother. Gabriel Byrne plays a uh, large Billy role in it. Billy Magnus. Yes. Sorry, yes. Not yes. Garrett Headland. Who's Garrett Headland? I know that he's got to be an up and coming actor too. Probably, I'd, I'd say Billy Magnuson's top of up and comers. He's solid in this. Um, he's got a role in a movie that you're gonna like quite a bit. That I don't remember the name. Coming up, crap. Yeah, I actually want to look this up mm. because I I do want listeners to know mm. what Billy's got coming because it's it's damn exciting. Billy, Billy boy, of I'm not I'm dying up here of uh, get shorty. Mm. Of, oh, Aladdin! He's got an un. He's in Aladdin. He's got an unlisted credit in Aladdin. That's promising. Like he's like top nine build, but wow. um, doesn't have a, a clear credit. Then he's in uh, Dan Gilroy's film with Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Russo. Ah, that's cool. Uh, All right. And then nice. he's got another one uh, in that film we were talking about earlier, The Oath from Ike Barinholtz with um, Tiffany Haddish. Oh, yeah. 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 Where he's got third lead. After Ike and Tiffany, and Moving we'll up the see bills. we'll see John Cho in there too, so that might be a fun in the one. oath. Yeah, Carrie Brownstein, uh, and that's kind of where it ends for notable roles. Pretty stacked cast. Pretty good. Nice. I like it. Well, let's, yeah, uh, he's back. I think Maniac. he's uh, great from start to finish in Maniac. Um, yeah, I believe this is where he gets shot in half in the tub, though. That's is this correct. that episode? Yeah, yeah, yes. okay. Quite violent. Um, but it's not really him. It's the, the imaginary friend version of him within this sea pill world. Um, Glasses version. Yes. Um, this is where... When I was closer to it, I had a lot more to say about this, yeah, unfortunately. This is where uh, the brother's fiance plays an FBI agent of some kind. Um, Jemima plays an FBI agent in this episode? Jemima? Is that her name? I thought it was Jemima Kirky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She is... Or maybe it's uh, Kirk, but I call it yeah. Kirky. Kind of like Lola Kirky. Yeah, she's, she's one like of that. the two uh, FBI agents uh, that Jonah Hill's character is working with. Okay. Um, Who was the other? Was it um, I don't know Sally actor. Field? No? Okay. Uh, uh, no, it's a dude, um, but I can't remember that actor. I don't know oh, that okay. I know him. Um, but yeah, this is where Gabriel Byrne is... Uh, yes. Cutting people in half and drilling them. Not cutting people in half, drilling people more specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, easily the most violent episode in the series, from what I can recall. Why didn't you charge uh, the battery? <laughs> Get me a battery for this drill. Yep. Um, I'm kind of trying to remember like a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, after he. After Billy's character is blown in half, I'm trying to remember how it ends. I don't really I, I think that he kind of um, confronts Gabriel Byrne and 
tells him, you know, something to the effect of fuck you. Mm. You know, stands up to his family finally. Yeah. Um, because the issue since the beginning is, uh, or rather episode one, is that his family manipulates him and makes him live in a false reality in which he has no say. And yeah. then he confronts them um, in this episode. And somehow we segue to him becoming the hawk or falcon. Yeah. And going to save Emma Stone's character. Yeah. Who he I kind do of not crosses, recall the name of. Crosses know, over between that. worlds or something. Yes. Between uh, psyches or realities. Yeah. 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 Um, and I like this episode quite a bit, too. Um, I'm trying to remember if there were any, like, complaints or, or things that bothered me. Um, I, don't, I, I don't recall there being any. You know, we had talked before about how um, no matter what character he's playing, Jonah Hill is always depressed. Um, you always sort of sense um, a sort of... Um, his tone r- r- remains sort of uh, monotone. Um, his demeanor is very consistent. I'm trying to um, think of exceptions. I feel like there's only one, maybe, and that's moments of War Dogs. Oh, I just meant from character to character within Maniac. Oh, I thought you meant like in his... Sorry, I said Jonah Hill. I meant yeah. his character. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I, I was thinking like, yeah, that's true of Superbad. Yeah, that's true of Wall Street. <laughs> You're like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's largely true. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't talk about Skinny Jonah that way. Yeah. yeah we, we, like we had talked about why Emma Stone was getting praise and, and and he wasn't and that was maybe just due to the fact that there his depression seems to run through all of these incarnations I, I also him. think that it goes back to that uh golden age of Hollywood where it's just acting is, is a is a feminine medium and it's much easier to see mm. and appreciate I think female acting at this level than it is mm. male acting I think that male acting that isn't at the level of where Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt perform mm. or Christian Bale recently, mm. it's very hard to know what to appreciate, I think, with male mm. actors. Whereas with, I think, female actors, because they have this range of emotion that they're allowed to channel mm. um, narratively, mm. commonly, I think it is easier to find and appreciate those moments more. Yeah, Um I'm get, I, I don't know that if it's if, if it's still the norm or not for um, male actors to not be you know al- allowed to sort of um, behave as largely as women do. Um, like I think that's maybe why I was. Um, I think they they can mm, behave as largely, mm, but I, I think that women tap into more emotions mm, more readily based on most screenplays than gotcha. male yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would describe, uh, you know, his performance is characterized by, like, a recessiveness or kind of a um, withdrawn sort of demeanor um, that is, um, th- there's just, frankly, kind of less there to discuss, mm-hmm. to kind of chew on. Um, it, so it sounds like, sort of lesser than, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. What, what I'm instantly thinking of is um, the juxtaposition contrast, once again. Of, Gotta do it. Um Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet and Call Me By Your Name, mm. where Army Hammer gets to play the typical masculine and Timothy Chalamet really is playing a feminine character. He mm. is going through a, a huge range of emotion and mm. a huge range of complications and he's allowed to show and experience a lot on the screen that mm. would normally be reserved for a female character, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
and and I think just to perform somebody who is depressed is just something that can only um, be so large. I kind of think about like mm-hmm. Casey Affleck's performance in Manchester by the Sea. I was like, about uh, to say a ghost story. Ah, yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, you know, I th- the there are Saints. yeah similar ish. I don't remember. It's been a while. He's since depressed. I've I just can't say. I promise. Specifically, it's been a while since I saw that one. Um, you know, to to sort of understand what's what's good or bad or what's effective or not so effective about a person who is lacking in feeling, it just gets that much harder to sort of pick out. I think the specifics in their behavior. As we right? do move on through his mm. um, processing, though, and we mm. get deeper into the computer subconscious with mm. him as a character. When mm-hmm. he becomes that role of Snorri, we get to see Definitely a, a totally there. different range of each character totally where true. he gets to be more um, loose with emotion yeah. and more crazy, kind of the way that Much Emma's more, yeah, been, been allowed to just be. Something. Yeah, but yeah. Emma, I think Emma's been largely just kind of allowed to slingshot her emotions yeah. at the screen, yeah. and Jonah hadn't been, and he's yeah. finally kind of allowed to, you know, zing stuff. Yeah. And Emma has to be this reserved gunslinger. And yeah. I, I think that it, it kind of showed up narratively that they were constraining each of these performers. Because yeah. I, I don't yeah. know that I would put Emma above Jonah or Jonah above Emma. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, not, not I just think in this, are... but as performers. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the characterizations complement each other, right? Like, Emma Stone would not seem as sort of... Um, flamboyant as she does if Jonah were not so monotone yes. right like to compliment one without the other is kind of unfair because they're they're accentuating each other yeah right that, like it's it's just more fair to talk about them as a duo what one makes the other strong yeah, yeah for sure um so strength in numbers type of a performance yeah maybe it's, it's just not that productive or fruitful to really try to compare think yeah. about them as yeah it's kind of like me trying to talk about sharon stone without paul rubens and mosaic like i can't mm. yeah her character is her character because of paul rubens. the thing to look at is what they produce together yes yeah 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 and i think that what this show makes with these two characters is you know on it, it's on a, a tier that is at the top yeah and i think the moments that i i like best are when they are together um very satisfying moments. There, yeah i i was filled with the with a deep happiness mm. um, when they're together specifically yeah. at the end yeah um at the i'm trying to remember what follows the mafia episode now like, i think that is the cold war episode with story um yes i believe that we emerge and he is at the <clears throat> rubik's cube at the united nations um or he's at a trial for himself at the United Nations, and then yeah. he is told to solve the Rubik's Cube. And then after that, perhaps he's told an alien, or is it while he's solving the Rubik's Cube, he's told that he's an alien? Um, I don't remember him being told he was an alien. You don't remember that? I don't think so. I remember the, the flashback to him um, blowing up the alien by accident. Remember yes. with the speaker? Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember him being told he was an alien. I don't know if I even recall that. Yeah, so he killed the alien. And then I, 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 do you remember when they, like, touch a, an instrument to his leg and, like, start moving it up? 
and yeah. something like comes out of his mouth or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Because yeah. I kind of forgot about that. I don't know why the image of the alien exploding is somehow the most memorable image in my head. From this and episode, I forgot but... about that <laughs> entirely and was focused on him it's being the alien. <laughs> um, but anyways, Snorri yeah. is an Icelandic uh, person who accidentally mm. killed an alien that, uh, by what we're told, is an alien that was coming there to kill everyone. <laughs> Um, oh yeah yeah which which you could interpret as um sally field's artificial intelligence character uh, yeah being there to kill everyone even though she's Mm. there to help and and does appear to help both within this narrative and within the the narrative of the show um and he gets to play this uh terrible accented icelandic character who is saving the world by solving a rubik's cube yes yes um which is a series of patterns that when put together are just plain sides of a square that you could find mm. anywhere you know, yeah. kind of unremarkable but in that in their moments they are quite remarkable because they can save the world at that point in time yeah um by belief in solving them which ties into who snorri is historically uh the icelandic historian snorri sterilism who one would assume that is absolutely who Carrie Fukunaga mm. is basing this on. Um, gotcha. And because I'm so far removed, I can't remember all of the things now. But while I was watching this show, I about a minute went by before every before a thought. So like every minute, I would have a thought like, "Holy shit, that's mm. this!" Mm. Mythologically, like yeah. the whole show, I was just like, "Oh, that's that. That's that." Like he's mm. he's drawing folk tales. He's drawing medieval mm. mythology. He's drawing. Icelandic. He's he's going Arabian Nights. He's doing mm. um, a huge breadth. And then he's going mm. um, re- really narrow into like small things with like the Cirrus's prophecy or um, mm. may, maybe like um, the storytelling aspects that we get from A Thousand and One Nights with uh, mm. Sally Field talking to um, Justin Thoreau. Yeah, there's just so many moments, and I, I wish that I had just watched it because when I had just watched it, I was ready Dexter to Pesh. talk about it for like three hours, and now it's yeah. like I, it's fingers of smoke, and I keep trying to touch it, and they keep feeling. going away. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it, it this is definitely something communicating deeper stories um, about the uh, uplifting of humanity and Mm. the stories that we use to get us there. And he's using these two characters to talk about these historical and mythological truths. Mm. Yeah. I know very few of those references. Okay. (laughs) To be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Um, How about John Wick, huh? I mean, Emma Stone. (laughs) It's interesting. I mean... Well, I mean, we can we can run with this for a second. I mean, do you do you think? Um, I mean, how, how do you kind of think about the value of the show or the, the the strengths of the show? You know, if if you assume most people do or do not know, you know, most of those references. Um, I, I would assume because, that all the European audience and most of the college educated audience in America has a familiarity at the name of Snorri. Mm. Like, Snorri is only one person. He's this mm. kid that was taken from his parents and and raised in Althing um, in the 1200s, if I remember correctly, in Iceland. 
Mm. And he went on to be a politician, be a lawyer, and translate the poetic, the prose, and the um, the base Edda, which are mm. the narrative stories of um, Icelandic, Norwegian, German, Norse mythology. Yeah. Um, which now, you know, we go spend millions of dollars on Thor movies, or on mm. Avengers movies where Thor is our hero, and, you know, we don't get these without these translations of... Mm. that Snorri did of these tales. We don't get mm. Neil Gaiman's North, Norse mythology without Snorri's translations. Mm. Um, so I, I I think that it deeply plays into, even though you might not know who he is, um, he's a character in your life, is, mm. is maybe what Carrie was communicating most. Gotcha. Because yeah. you just watched Avengers. Mm-hmm. You liked Thor, right? Ish, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When you watched Thor, you liked Thor, right? Yeah, as a character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't get you don't get Loki. You don't get Thor without mm. this. Um, yeah. And I think maybe that's there. There's a lot more stories, but just talking widely. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, there there's a lot to the loss of an eye conversation. Mm. That it would be interesting, but I'm so far removed from the show that I I can't best yeah. express that anymore. Um, but like. Yeah. You, you know they're evoking this idea when he loses his sight mm. briefly yeah because he claims a false reason for why he lost his sight and mm. once he identifies the reason why his sight comes back there's just gotcha. many interesting old mythological narratives that are happening within the show yeah yeah um yeah it's it's uh i mean it's difficult i mean um you know, these are many of these are reference points that I don't have, and you know there there can be there can be lots of shows or movies that um, whose um, thematic concerns you sense but may not be picking up on, and yet the movie sort of encourages you to um, to lean in and want to dissect those more. And I can't say that this was particularly one um, of those for me. Um, yeah, but I don't I, doubt that they were on the page. I I, I maybe question about how it tra- how well it translated for me. Um, I, I don't think it's one where you want to... Like, I think with Hold the Dark, you want to lean in and meditate on it. Mm-hmm. I think with this, it's more you bring your background of what you know. Mm-hmm. And it just adds another level of beauty to mm-hmm. the story being told. Mm-hmm. It's not something you need to meditate on. It's just something mm-hmm. that if you know what you know... Then yeah. you see a layer of beauty on it that I don't see, and if I know what I know, I yeah. see a layer of beauty on it that you don't see. And I, yeah, I think that's that fair. that's maybe the best way to communicate it. And I yeah. saw so many layers of beauty that I was so happy. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's at the top. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> second to the top. Close. Yeah. It's close. Quite close. It's above Hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah. Can suck it. Ooh. Number one feature film <laughs> of the year. Can suck it. <laughs> um. Ending wise, were you satisfied with how this was concluded? One hundred percent. Completely on board. Yep. Mm. Emma Stone mm. in a truck, racing mm. away, with yeah. someone she loves that she can talk to. Yeah. Honestly. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So so happy with that ending. That's awesome. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it made me feel very warm inside. Yeah. Yeah. 
I I wish that I could watch it again and feel that way. And I probably you could can. watch it again. <laughs> you can do that. We have so <laughs> many things lined up, Michael. You don't understand. The but Romanoffs the, has a new episode next Friday. Surely the chances are pretty good. You'll watch this again at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Probably before next spring. Yeah. It's just this this Oscar run is about to get hot. True. It's going to be busy. Like next week we got Sisters, Brothers, Old Man and the Gun, Halloween. Uh, still got to do Private Life. Yep. Apostle. Those are just new releases, Michael. We got an exclusive of we, streamer. We try like, to get the old ones in too. It, it makes it tough. We yeah, we're loaded mm-hmm. up until Oscar season, and then we're gonna start getting those digital releases of those yeah. movies that don't get circulation in Seattle. Yeah, and then we're gonna have to catch ones, up with yeah. those. So like through January, we're probably booked. it is like a full keg of movies. Yeah, and you're gonna and it's just us. Yeah, and I'm gonna <laughs> and have... we got like thirty minutes to take it down. <laughs> we're worn out, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, overall, I I I I really enjoyed Maniac. I had particular things that that rubbed me the wrong way just you, slightly. Um, I just had read your review, and you really did not like the '80s little bit Correct. um that mm-hmm. is evoked by it and yeah. i um i number one didn't mind it number two didn't yeah. think that it was completely committed to the 80s mm. i felt like it was somewhere i i mean it's mostly 80s for sure but i felt like 1994 to 1976 is kind of the range mm. of what we're getting yeah um and i guess why don't you like that why don't um, you like the idea of an alternate reality separate from our timeline where it separates there i just feel like i've seen a lot of it lately um i felt like i was really it was the whole reason then yeah there was there it was a breath of fresh air to have the episodes like the uh the fantasy ones um you know when i when i typed in uh uh maniac review on google the the first thing that i saw was on i think it was on like whatculture.com which i don't even know what that is said this, yeah, this what's is culture yeah <laughs> it said this is the 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 best mini series in stranger things and i did not like stranger things and it was talking about i think um, it's much better than stranger things i agree and a number one stranger things is not a mini series uh maybe just it was like best uh maybe just tv series or netflix series i don't know that was the comparison it was making um i, I hope that it said mini series and it's just <laughs> stupid yeah um there there are just too many other sort of like cultural references that that um that are out there that i feel like this um indulged in the 80s um ephemera kind of more than i than i than i wanted it to um so other than other than the look and atmosphere of the feeling of technology Mm. within this world Mm -hmm. not really anything 80s about it yeah, but I'm not sure, like, aside from, I think I kind of complimented it at one point as sort of um, deliberately slowing down the rate at which, like, certain technology seems to be advancing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't know that I really have any sort of, like, world-building or thematic explanation for that. It seemed more, like, kind of a stylistic indulgence, which is okay sometimes. For me, I just didn't particularly like it. Um, um, so, last episode, I brought up that i thought that kind of what this world did that i found fascinating was it separated itself from the smartphone and it made the Mm. world do what a smartphone does Mm. 
yeah uh, manually so ad buddies instead of facebook yeah um, yeah and then there's fun flourishes like the poop machines that remind me of the jack black film en- yeah. envy if you ever saw that i don't know that where they can spray this thing and dog poop magically disappears but i think it was all actually going to some place that sounds awesome it, <laughs> it's like a weird it's you put it in like the company of punch drunk love where like great. it's a great film mm. but a lot of people hate it you know that movie yeah so i might love this movie yeah, maybe <laughs> we might get to envy uh, sometime in 2029 20, yes exactly <laughs> way down the road um so, so do you um see any merit in that argument of that they're making the world reflect mm-hmm. analog versions of what a smartphone provides in our reality i do but why do you why would you have to pick um the the, the 80s details specifically what does that, what I, that i think that the divergence the there is when um so i think you know late 70s is when we begin to get our car phones and, and um mm. we we get our cellular consistent receptions um in the 80s and in main metropolitan areas mm. um if you have a car-based cellular device i think and then in the 90s i want to say 90 if late 80s to early 90s you have cellular devices that are entirely reliable mm-hmm yeah i mean and i mean briefcase phones all the way back to the 60s car phones all the way back to the 60s but if we're talking broadly yeah yeah i think yeah. that that culture um, of um I, I think that culture starts there hmm. is what i would argue that's interesting um i, I just happened to digest it um a different way i mean i think for so much of this series you know to be um using style in certain ways just for stylistic sake which is totally fine. I have trouble believing that certain touches were for um, such thematic reasons. Like it felt more like it was just to um, make it look sort of as good as they wanted it to look, which in most cases it did. I was quite impressed with the production what, what design, but, but there are details that I that I just didn't care for. What touches are you thinking of? the screens like on the computers when they're waiting to go into like the simulations themselves um mm-hmm. there are these like really kind of dated interlaced screens um yeah. sort of like screensaver kind of things there's a computer he's using at work um where he's you know looking it looks like he's kind of working on one of those like the first max or something like that yeah, so so um, my it feels like nostalgia like i, I don't like nostalgia very much um, okay in, yeah. in my in i I'm kind of 50-50 on it. Like, if it's my nostalgia, mm. I love it. If it's not my nostalgia, I hate it, you know? And this is you do a, or you don't. Like, th- I think this, this is This isn't my nostalgia. Yeah. But what I'm what I'm thinking of um, in technological advancement is the only reason we have computers like we have. Yeah. And we have phones like we have is because we, kept, we continue to pour money into smaller, faster, better, mm. cooler, meaning literally not as hot. Mm-hmm. And this world doesn't have those reasons mm. to make their things smaller, um, right? Mm. Be- because we are spending money on smaller, we yeah. are getting things that are smaller. Yeah, I didn't see the same amount of money in this world being spent on making things smaller. Mm. So you wouldn't see those technological innovations would be my only mm. criticism of your criticism, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I mean, yeah, you're you're talking about a progression of size. Um, 
Well, yeah. it's um, it's a specific theory that because we're, I'm a beer and a half in now. I, I can't think of the exact name, <laughs> yeah. but it's it, it's a bell curve <laughs> thing that started, I think, in the '60s, <laughs> where um, like every two years, uh, processors increase in size. Oh yeah, because I, of, I know of what technological. Speed. I can't remember what the phrase is. Yeah, but I know exactly. Yeah, you know. Exa- yeah, and yeah. I, I think yeah. that the only reason that's continued is because of cellular devices being in, included mm. within the computation spectrum. I think that without cellular devices, uh, we we don't see the same bell curve. Um, if we're mm. just buying CPU units that we plug into a, a home screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so completely understand the, the world, logic. I just I, yeah. I believe it. Got it. Yeah, that I makes sense. I certainly do um, think it's a stylistic flourish on purpose. I, yeah. I would agree. I just I felt like it was grounded in real enough reasoning mathematically within the world that it made it. do yeah. enough sense yeah um yeah I, I put that in my review because it came to mind not because it's like the one thing that like i well it's was the one thing by. that i remember you wrote down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um you know it's just it was just something specifically that, that each time i saw it, i was like i don't know that i'm that i'm really needing this um and then the other thing was just um some of the um eccentricities of it um it's quite eccentric yeah i, I grew that, yeah I, I i grew increasingly less enthused with justin thoreau's character um i felt like the show was with, inc- with like who he is narratively as a person or with the character uh, I think how that character was behaving be- became increasingly sort of grating or irksome. Um, as so I his felt like... his ticks. Yes. Okay. Not like that. He's a terrible person. No. No. Okay. No. 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 It's gotcha. it's behavior, uh, mannerisms, okay. his, his that acting kind of thing. choices, if you will. Yes, I um, increasingly felt like the show was asking me to to think to myself, how kooky is this? Um, and and that was a little a little irksome um but again that that was a that was a a detail that came to mind so i happened to note it not a a broad criticism of the show mm-hmm. you know it's just that a show is the sum of its parts and therefore like i you know i can't help but sort of list out some of the specific things that came to mind and you still like uh, sonoya who sonoya mizuno the yes smoker definitely yeah definitely um and I think what I what I kind of most liked about this show is, to me, I, I mean, perhaps I'll put it in the form of a question before I before I uh, before I express my own opinion. Does it sound more to you um, like their future, um, Jonah Hill and Emma Stone's character's future, is romantic or platonic? Or platonic? I. <laughs> I don't lean either way. The only yeah. way that I could express how I think their future is mm. is with one word, and I would say lovely. Mm. Well said. That's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think I would agree. I mean, I, I think there there is a, a a a lovely ambiguity about it, and I think there is just such a dearth in TV and movies um, of male female friendships platonic relationships it's um i I don't have anything against romance at all i love romance and romantic stories um but 
I think the the sort of opportunity this gives us to um, conceive of them as just being great friends who understand each other um, and and, uh, and will we'll be together and support each other. Go. Yeah, I mean, Naturally. this very easily could have romant could have ended romantically, and I think that would have been a misstep for me. That would have been too a little too, too tidy much too quickly. Yeah, yeah, like for what they've just kind of been through, I really yeah. seven hours still not. <laughs> Still yeah. not enough time for me to believe that they could get get they could get together romantically. I don't know, but I but right. I like the possibility that for platonic male female friendships, I think I, I just don't think you see that very often. Um, I, I don't think I'd go so far as to say a platonic male mm. female friendship because they've been married for years within their mm. psyches. Yeah. So I I feel like they're bringing this shared history of of love of life of, of relationship of suffering of raising children mm. all these experiences they had within this their subconsciousness and the um reality of the computer mm. to bear in the reality and the reality mm. is that they're two people that just met each other before this drug trial and yeah. they care about each other and that's good enough for now and it's yeah it's really really sweet and it's really um romantic in a non-sexual way and I, I think that that's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. There isn't a lot of sexuality in the show to speak of, as I'm kind of remembering it now, unless there's something I'm forgetting. Not since Justin um, Thoreau's peanut butter uh, artificial yes. intelligence sex. That's right. His uh, his solo sexuality. Yeah. Well, I um, guess I mean I mean Sally Field kissing him on the mouth. His mom kissing him on the mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of all Justin mm. Thoreau based and i it's all you know very psychological yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i think uh it's one that i would absolutely encourage people to see no doubt yeah i I think that we could agree that it's a great show that people should watch just my go-to response when i run out of things to say yeah so (laughs) it's my second favorite Mm. thing this year that i would say is a long lens format or Mm. film um excluding television shows there might be a show that i'd put above it i I doubt it though um Mm. so as far as series go this is the Mm. second best of the year after mosaic on hbo um and then it's i think it's better than any feature film that's been released this year personally Mm. Um, but I do think that it's something that anybody can enjoy and you'll mm. know whether or not you are enjoying it I think within the first episode I think so, so too I so think if the, you the don't like it by the yeah. end you probably won't come around and that's totally fine it's just not for you yeah I think people have to will know very quickly whether or not the, the, the quirks of it are something they're, they're uh, willing to, to stomach or not yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, lastly, I, I'm incredibly excited for Carrie to direct a James Bond film. And I would love to see Emma Stone do more as a John Wick What about a James Bond forward. villain or Bond girl or something? Bond girls are sort of I don't really historically want, uninteresting. I don't really me. want Emma as a Bond girl. Um, <laughs> There's probably nothing. I, I want her, her to, to like that, have yeah. her own franchise in the John yeah. Wick world. Uh, where she is also a murderer of assassins and yeah. ninjas, and she participates in that stuff. There you go. N- no, <laughs> I don't. I don't want. She's an American girl mm-hmm. that I want. She. You could call her Joan Wick. How about that? There you go. That could be cool. She could be John Wick's daughter. There um, you go. Or like niece or something. 
Yeah. But I, I really want guns in her hands, her wearing a trench coat, and just walking around murdering people. Yeah, he, uh, he got to stage some shootouts in the Cold War episode, and I thought those were quite nice, so that was promising. That was fun. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for this episode. We're probably going to record next episode here in, what, two minutes? So. <laughs> Moving right along. Might, might as well uh We were just so we excited do. to deliver to our customers the goods <laughs> so <laughs> going all the way back this episode we reviewed a room with the view i gave it a three you gave it a four for a total of a three and a half for the show all right we reviewed colette we each gave it a three for a total of three mm-hmm. we did crazy heart i gave it a two and a half you gave it a three for a total of a 2.75 from the show star is born we each gave a four for a total of four i think that we're probably going to want to revisit that maybe while it's still in theaters i agree um and then venom uh or not venom that's just the way that we wrote on the list mm. we are sorry listener hold the dark i gave a four and a half you gave a two and a half show consensus of three and a half venom three and a half for me what do you want to give it for venom is that what you said yep three three okay mm-hmm. So 3.25 from us. A Prayer Before Dawn, I gave a three and a half. You give a? Three and a half. Okay. Total of three and a half. And then Maniac, I gave a five. You give a? Four. For a total of four and a half, which is our highest rated thing this show. Boom. Another one in the can. Boom. Uh, we do need to tell the audience what's on tap in a couple minutes here. <laughs> Even All though right. they won't hear it for a week. So on the next episode, we are going to talk about first impressions of High Life at Eternity's Gate, as well as The Right Stuff with First Man. That's right. Then we are going to do The Cabin in the Woods from Drew Goddard, as well as his film that was just released, The Battle at the El Royale, is that correct? Bad times at the El Royale. Bad times at the El Royale. I keep not (laughs) knowing what the fuck this movie's called. Um, And then we are going to do a brief review of episodes one and two of the Alan Yang directed and created show, Forever, starring Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph, Alan Yang of Master of None fame. How many listeners do you think are going to watch Battle Royale instead ahead of time? (laughs) Uh, probably none because he cleared that right up. So, <laughs> bad, bad times. times at the El Royale. There we are. My accoutrement mm-hmm. is by the door. That will make sense if you see the movie. So do it. All right. I think that's it for this show. Uh, give it a cheers and let's get to recording episode 12. Cheers. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.